Next on the Well of Sound, it's Genesis. I just love that this is a reckoning for all our listeners who love Prague. We got like, we, we toe dipped into Genesis and got pulled into the lake fully. <laughs> the ocean. The ocean. I'm at the bottom of the ocean at this point. The universe, the vast universe. I mean, so this, we originally talked about this and it still is a Phil Collins episode. Mm-hmm. But you can't talk about Phil Collins without talking about Genesis. And the Genesis takes us way back. Like, way back. I mean, way so back. does Phil, but Genesis does too. So we've got these sort of parallel lines uh, happening before, uh, before they intersect. Um, Can we just say, though, that for people of at least our vintage, our generation... yeah. I grew up with a different Phil Collins than the one that I've basically been listening to for the last, I don't know, six months. Uh, slightly. I mean, the Against All Odds Live Aid guy who was everywhere. Every, huge. The One of the biggest stars of the 80s. And I remember thinking, I think even then, but definitely sort of once we got into the, the 90s and the aughts and still not really knowing about um, Genesis in the seventies. I remember thinking like, can you believe that that guy was like the biggest star in the, in the world? Like in the world, everywhere he could, everything he touched. And I thought it was absurd. Like to the top 10. And you're right. It's like, uh, this small kind of balding guy who, who looks, he looks a little like Bob Hoskins. I remember seeing Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That was actually my first exposure to Bob Hoskins. Not like, yeah, me too, me too. Not like the, the the London crime movies. Yeah. But I remember thinking, that guy looks like Phil Collins. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Just imagine that you're sitting in that audience. You don't know who Phil Collins is. And I say, coming on now is a sex symbol, a singer of romantic songs, a film star, and a pop idol. Who would you imagine would come around that door? Well, anyone but me, I suppose. I suppose that's what you're getting at, isn't it? <laughs> and then I, I remember sort of if uh, face value showing up like at summer camps, like the cassette, and it being clearly like the biggest thing going on, and I was already behind. I was like, I don't know what this is, but this is enormous. And then the uh, Land of Confusion video yes. with the puppet, that was like... That's the stuff that I loved as a kid, puppetry and labyrinth and dark crystal and all that stuff. So when that sort of merged into rock, I was like, what? I couldn't get enough of that. I mean, that left an enormous impression on yeah. me, too. What's the name of the um, of the uh, of the television show is the English television show that there was was, was this, those the puppets were in this that vein 
splitting image, spitting image, spitting image. Okay. They were spitting image puppets, and okay. that was a very you know grotesque looking. Right. I remember the one for Reagan that they had. It was on late night TV. It didn't make any sense to no. an American kid, but right, Gorbachev. Yes. All the sort of big world players like showed up and but in like labyrinth style. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but he looks like a Collins looks like a Cabbage Patch Kid in the Land of Confusion video, and he kind of Cabbage comes Patch by it, Kid honestly. that was born in the in the, in the gutter, a garbage pail kid, <laughs> garbage pail kid. Who are we kidding? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so then realizing in my early twenties that Peter Gabriel was in Genesis was like. A, a, an explosion that went off in my mm-hmm. brain. I was like, what, 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 what? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I became interested when I was sort of on my, on my like Virgin Megastore, Towered Record Store bin, binges. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, okay, what's the Genesis in the 70s album to get? Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is is sort of the the recommended go-to, at least back then it was. And so that's what I knew for a long time, but didn't really go deeper. But all this stuff, yeah. this, this, uh, this backstory just has always hung around in my head, but I never bothered. I mean, this is what we're doing with yeah. every episode. We're, we're figuring out the stuff we didn't know before. And there's been a lot of, you know, we've done a few of these where, where I knew a lot going in or one was a couple where you knew a lot going yeah. in. This is one where I think both of us had very little knowledge. I mean, up until about five to 10 years ago, I was in the Noel Gallagher camp that sort of thought Phil Collins represented the worst of everything that had ever happened. I mean, I remember when the hangover came out and Mike Tyson doing the, the in the air tonight, um, drum solo and that being like this callback and realizing how actually how incredibly cool that the Sonics were. Right. Uh, But I hadn't really, I I hadn't had that part of my brain switched on in terms of Phil Collins. Mike Tyson? This is my favorite part coming up right now. And then I remember reading an interview where where Phil Collins, when he was coming back, where he was just releasing, I think, a cover, uh, an album of oldies, he said, you know, it really hurt my feelings when Noel Gallagher kept saying that I should die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and like that I should just go away and never be heard from again. I mean, what did I do that was so bad? And I thought, to, I remember a couple of these interviews where you're just like, gosh, I, I really feel bad for the guy. Like, yeah. He's actually called me the Antichrist of music. Really? Yeah. He's so easy to hate. He's so easy to hate because he was that big. Right. Right. There came a time when everything shifted and he, he, he was not the biggest thing in the world, but the biggest punching bag. In- yeah in the world. Um, but the truth is, is that this guy has chops and was, uh, everywhere, even in, in the seventies. And, and I guess we can, we can get into it now, Mm -hmm. but, uh, we should probably say that this is going to be our first two parter. Yeah. We we just, we got a lot to say about Phil Collins. Too much music. I mean, that was when we were preparing for this. After like three months, I turned to you and I said, "I'm not sure. We can't do Genesis as well. Like that's just too much." And you said, "No, no, we have to do it all." <laughs> and I thought, I thought, "Oh shit." Well, also, I said, um, "I was like, we'll just start 
when Phil becomes the lead singer of Genesis. And then (laughs) I checked back in with you later and you were like, no, we got to do, we got to do it all. I can't. Because you had become obsessed. From when he starts in the band. So Genesis is a, this is another thing I had no idea about going in. Genesis was formed at a British public school. So that means a boarding school for Americans. And not just anyone, Charterhouse. So if you, if you graduate. Which I know nothing about. Charterhouse, you are a Carthusian. Okay. And um, the most famous uh, alum of, of Charterhouse, other than Peter Gabriel, Tony Banks, and Mike Rutherford, you know who it is? No. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Oh, my God. <laughs> the guy who started the Methodist church in, like, you know, the 18th century. Right. So, it's like, a, it's a really old school. Yeah. Rutherford's uh, father is an admiral, I believe. Yeah. Um, these guys are posh. They're, yeah. they're posh. Collins is not, but he doesn't come into it. They form these bands. There's another guy named Anthony Phillips, yeah. who who actually is the best musician in the band. Totally. Uh, and they form, and there's various like sort of, uh, you know... There's um, clicks, basically. Clicks of it. Yeah, the clicks are... Rutherford and Phillips, yeah. sort of, in their own band. And um, that is called... Uh, or they call themselves Anon? Anon, and Tony Banks and Peter Gabriel are in the garden wall. And (laughs) I love Rutherford at one point says, goes, oh, the garden wall was a bit twee. A bit, yeah. Well, out of the frying pan into the fire. We used to just sort of play together in in dining rooms and things like that. Various people in the school used to do the same sort of thing, going around with, you know, drum kit that was made up of sort of snare drum and one bass drum and things. I just trying to imitate these kind of groups. Was it encouraged? I wouldn't say it was encouraged, no. In fact, it wasn't, but it wasn't as discouraged as it might have been. It depended a lot on your particular housemaster. Um, I think Mike suffered a lot of discouragement. I was banned from playing guitar throughout my whole career then. Really? Although I did, but I mean, I wasn't... I had a funny housemaster, yes. It was a very sort of strange period. Um, but it probably made me do it even more, you know, it's like when you're... Um, not allowed to do something. There are definitely various configurations, and they finally sort of gel, yeah. but with a revolving seat of drummers. Yeah. And you get the sense, in a slightly Kate Bush fashion, this probably wouldn't have happened in the same way if they hadn't had a lot of parental support. Totally. They keep talking about going off and writing during school holidays and so-and-so's family cottage. Yeah. You know? It's very uh, it's very sort of academic and, and um, uh, literate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lots of allusions to uh, folklore and uh, hymns and um, legends and and they're they're really going the the Tolkien sixties path. It's like uh, English with a capital E. I remember we was described by an East Grinstead local paper as a folk blues jazz rock mystical group. And they call themselves like a songwriting collective. Yeah. Right. That's their. Give me a break, guys. But the, the, <laughs> this is but this is also like the late early the mid nineteen sixties. I think they started playing together in like nineteen sixty five. Right. 66. And they're right. they're doing some like rhythm and blues standards. But Banks, who is... Banks and Phillips are sort of the driving forces musically at yeah. the beginning. As, I mean, and probably the biggest snobs in, in the group. Gabriel has... has he's an iconoclast. He's, yeah, he, right. He's more of a... Um, I mean, Banks is a... Banks is a contrarian. Gabriel is an iconoclast. I really have come to love all of these guys. Totally. 
Tony Banks is unbelievably funny and, and grumpy. Grumpy. And, and lovable, but like very lovable, but very grumpy. And he's always, um, he's, he, he speaks a mile a minute and he's never saying nice things about his own work. And he's, or except for actually until, until he really loves his own work. Oh, yeah, that, that bit was very good. You know? Right, right. I worked on it too hard, actually. One of the songs got over arranged and over, over composed. So know? it ended up fragmenting. Yeah, I just ended up. A bit too busy for me. They never want to be caught being earnest. Mm. And that's a real issue for them. I think when I, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when Phil enters the band, he right. says that they've got this code, almost this very English stiff upper lip, like um, give each other a look rather than actually that's talk right. about That's right. That's a little bit of what we were talking about with Roxy Music um, and uh, Eno that like uh, Ferry couldn't really sort of express his distaste for other people's contributions and so he would just ice them out yeah. you know if people weren't reading his uh you know unspoken cues yeah i think that there's a fair amount of that going on but that's also one of the things that phil brings to the band yeah. is an ability to articulate and to to, to sort of uh, puncture the self-seriousness a lot of times he's the jester in the group yeah and the the, the skill there is a certain kind of wall that gets built up around you if you go to public school and not knowing because I never went but I mean I can see it at a distance and um, struggling free to break out of what you were made I mean sort of bred for an extinct cause in a way you know you go to be an officer and a gentleman but you come out and people don't want officers and gentlemen you know you can't what do you do so we should probably rewind to, yeah. to Phil uh, who grows up um, in a middle class family a suburban the end of the line but yeah. in London yeah um, his father is, is a insurance agent, bowler cap, you know, stereotypical, uh, you know, uh, English commuter. He was in the Navy, but he wasn't an admiral. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, there's the contrast. Um, and his mom ends up becoming more and more involved in the world of theater and show business in London and she works for a casting agent mm -hmm. so that uh, I mean Collins actually Collins and his sister and his brother all are sort of artistically inclined well actually both your brother and sister went into different branches of the entertainment business Carol you as a, a professional ice skater and Clyde a cartoonist cartoonist plenty of material for you here tonight so these are kids with talent when I was about five years old, my uncles made me a kit of drums that fitted into a suitcase. And I remember sitting, watching television and playing along. Phil is, is under the shadow of his, his father, um, who clearly makes a big impression on his life. I mean, what, we, what he comes to find out is his father is, uh, has a mistress, a long-time mistress, and eventually um, moves out of the house. So then his mother becomes a real force in the family and enrolls Phil in basically a theatrical academy, yeah, right? For kids. I mean, for, for kids. For, as a school, his school was a theatrical academy. So they're constantly yeah. doing plays and stuff. And, and and so all, you know, he's growing up with, with kids and having girlfriends that are actresses and all of them are going on r real deal auditions in the West End and for film. Yeah. I mean, he's... Uh, and a young Phil Collins, I mean, the, the the joke is that he's actually in the crowd of A Hard Day's Night. The next song we'd like to sing... It's called Hard Day's 
gets filmed, but he got cut out, or they, he, yeah, he He's, he ends up on the cutting room floor of that and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, <laughs> evidently. <laughs> and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. But he was in a movie called Calamity the Cow. Oh yeah, I, I forgot about. He's in Calamity the Cow. Dad, you said I could have a cow of my own. Can I have this one? Oh now, hold on. I'm in one of our herd. You said I could choose. Yes, you did. Yes, it was a, a children's film, and. Um, it was like boy finds cow, boy loses cow, boy finds cow. <laughs> I never actually saw it. He has a couple of near misses, but then he gets cast as the artful dodger yeah. in the production the of, of Oliver. Yeah. Come, city yourself at home. Come, city yourself, are one of the family. We've taken a you so strong. It's clear. And that's a fairly big... Which the movie ends up casting from just not him. Just not him. Yep. Well, not uh, probably other other kids in the cast. But but, this character of the artful Dodger will be something he kind of defaults to uh, for humor all the time. Yeah. Which is playing up a sort of... He's not truly a Cockney kind of guy, but he he plays it up and he can do that character and he can be that sort of street ruffian type. Yeah. I mean, he's... He's got some of it. He's... Yeah. He's a suburban kid, but he like knows the streets. He's Mm -hmm. a little rough and tumble. He gets in fights. Like he can handle himself. Yeah. Especially he joins a band called, I think it's called Flaming Youth. Well, first it's called um, uh, Hickory. Oh, gosh. And before it was Hickory. You ready for this? Yeah. I mean, the the tie-ins to past Well of Sound episodes like, it are, sounds like a... are fantastic. Before uh, Hickory became Hickory, they were the backing touring band for John Walker, one of the Walker brothers. Oh. Yeah. Wow. In 69. So, at, you know, after, basically his story is that he loses the artful dodger because uh, he hits puberty. I, I did that for seven months until my voice broke. Did we actually break on stage? Yeah. What were you singing at the time? I went on stage one night and the first song is Consider Yourself that Dodger sings. And nothing happened, you know, I just opened my, my mouth and nothing came out. And you, it's terrible because you feel like all the audience <clears throat> shifting around <clears throat> and feeling very embarrassed for you, but there's nothing you can do about it. And he leans on his drumming. Um, and he doesn't really think much or, or doesn't give m- much credit to his vocals. He puts, he puts a lot into the value of, of being a working music, musician. And that, that's what he says he essentially wants to be. He wants to be a gigging jazz drummer. And if rock pays the bills, great. I went to drum teacher because I already knew how to play, but I wanted to learn to read because I thought, okay, when this pop thing's over, I'm gonna have to go into an orchestra pit and then be in a show band, you know, like a, like a big band or, or something I'm gonna have to read. So um, I haven't really got that worry, I suppose, anymore that, uh, that when the pop thing's over, yeah, I'm gonna be hard up for a few bob. But I, would, I don't really think I can do anything else. I certainly don't wanna run a music store. You know, his idols are Buddy Rich, um, he loves Motown and Stax. Um, of course, like everybody else, he loves the Beatles too. Ringo's, uh, an idol of his, but, um, you know, he, a- after the whole West End thing, he hits the streets of London looking for drumming gigs. And, you know, I, 
even to this day, it, he describes himself much more comfortably as a drummer than as a singer totally. or a, or a sort of a performer. Right. He's he. It sounds like at any point in his tale, when um, he's not feeling good or he's at sea in some way in the wilderness, he usually has to find his way back behind, on a drum stool before he. That's where his bearings are. Um, and you know, I did remember growing up asking the great question of like who is the greatest drummer that ever lived and you'd always hear that John Bonham and Keith Moon would usually get mentioned and then I, occasionally I remember someone once saying Phil Collins and I just thought what he yeah. plays the drums yeah and um and the the person knew what they were talking about it just stuck in the back of my head mm-hmm. and I remember me too th- yeah. I feel like that's sort of why we're we ended up here mm-hmm. is these guys have uh uh, Gabriel too. They have, and all, all of Genesis. They sort of have residue to them, and, and legends to them. And you hear these things where people say, "Oh, oh yeah, that." And you go, "Really?" Because I, I, I'm not aware of that. Yeah. And then you take the deep dive, and you go, "Oh, holy shit!" Like, <laughs> the, the, you know, yeah. But Phil Collins can be counted up there with Ginger Baker. And yeah, I mean, can I? Then they end up in a band. It ends up in a band called Flaming Youth, right? Yes. Is that? Am I jumping the gun on that? Uh, no. Flaming Youth. Let's hear a song called Pulsar from Flaming Youth, just to give you a slight sense of it. That meeting burnt out ember, demon of self destruction. I feel the signal pulsing into my mind. Black waves of death transmitting. Sweet so, I mean, so he's got you, a lot to do there, clearly, but he's... Yeah, but he's bored. I, I will say, I've looked at videos of uh, uh, that were taken at the time. So Flaming Youth is the creation of two sort of famous songwriters um, at the time. They make a concept album and they put together a band of, of handsome, skilled dudes mm-hmm. Um Flaming Youth. Later, to, a, ki- a kiss song, as we know. Set the world on fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, to tour Europe and promote this this album. Um, but when you see them, they all look just bored. Really? Yeah. Especially Phil Collins. He's And he gets to sing a couple songs in, in Flaming Youth. And, uh, you know, it's just standard 60s era stuff that gig sort of flames out yeah. around the time that genesis is going through it's like third drummer so genesis records a record called from genesis to revelation right which is very it sounds a little like the bgs mixed with um early pink floyd every morning when the people are out and i'm free to move around on my own i look into the sun and i see a reflection a sad and lonely shriveled man That's me That's me And I know it's how I'm always gonna be Nothing to do Nothing to say Nothing to hope And nothing to read I can't see I can't feel I've forgotten what I meant to be Won't come back Not if I try Told me things about me that I didn't know, but I could tell that told me lies really go to show that everyone was wrong and they don't understand my ways. But it's not me that's going wrong, it's them. 
Um, yeah. It gets heavily orchestrated by this guy, Jonathan King, who was a fellow Cartesian. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't like how it how it comes out sounding. And so they when they record their second album, which I believe is Trespass. Yeah, it is. This is for Charisma Records, which is Tony Stratton Smith's uh, label. And he has the nice uh, Lindisfarne, Hawkwind, early Alan Parsons, Alan Hull, sort of all... Early prog, um, you know, psychedelic stuff all that that merges with, um, you know, Fairport Convention, like British folklore stuff. So it's that cross section there. And Genesis kind of fits in that. And there, um, which is which has always been, been a little bit of a, a tough thing for me because I had this Lindis Fair and, and uh, sort of early Fairport Convention to me just was just the, the most boring side of, of British music, to be honest. It was like so twee, so British, and sort of uh, like very close to like the minstrel in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And it was like, it just like I couldn't really handle it. His head smashed in and his heart cut out and his liver removed and his bowels unplugged and his nostrils raped and his bottom burnt off and his penis... That's, that's, uh, that's enough music for now, lads. <laughs> I mean, I love English, like ballsy rock and roll yeah but that's sort of endless sort of finger picking i see i i end up loving that stuff well it were i I get to the point with genesis where i really enjoy it and i think it's beautiful yeah but unadorned i just couldn't it would never be something i'd pick up yeah but trespass and, and a lot of that it turns out a lot of that aspect of genesis's music which will be throughout but that's introduced by anthony phillips ant phillips right. they call him ant, right who's there for trespass and from genesis to revelation i mean you want to play a song off trespass yeah uh do you have one in mind i mean i like the knife is the famous one off there but i think looking for someone is great, great. i love looking for someone keep on a straight line I don't believe I can Trying to find a needle in a haystack Till it wind, you're piercing like a dagger in her true zone Nobody needs to discover me I'm back again Gabriel is pretty developed already. Yeah, I would say it's it's a pretty significant step up from the first album. I found uh, a review from Rolling Stone that's about the they reissued the first album, I guess in 74 and the and the and I agree with this. The uh they call the first album it's spotty poorly defined and at times innately boring and should be avoided by all but the most rabid genesis fans so trespass is definitely a step up from that it Big feels um accomplished uh it's listenable um and already and i kept thinking about this especially with these early genesis albums um why i I was able to get deeper and deeper and found them more and more listenable when I I have the opposite reaction to other big uh, prog bands at the time, which feel heavier. And I mean, Genesis can be really serious at times, but there's a light, they, there's a lot of light touch. Mm. And what we'll come to discover is, especially when Phil joins the band, there's 
more humor, albeit sarcasm and and black comedy. Um, but still, that light touch does, goes a long way when it comes to the heavy, syrupy prog rock yeah. um, as a genre. Well, and and I think there there's a, they grow into their instruments. I think that they're yeah. uh, you could call Tony Banks virtuoso at this point, or like keyboard he, he, keyboard player as he becomes. And Rutherford, in his way too, he's the guy always with the double necked the what is the bass on the bottom and the guitar on top, and they all and. Collins is a master of his craft, but uh, it's not their their form of long songs is not uh, improvised. It's very heavily structured stuff, yeah. and I think that because they do consider themselves songwriters, right? They, and in fact, they go to pains to distance themselves from basically Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, who they yeah. they consider to be good musicians, but they're trying not to do that yeah which is a good choice yeah i mean i don't know anyone who sort of holds that up as like the key hey pictures in a gallery let's let's i don't either um something about that really is maybe they single-handedly set off punk rock but the the um it i i have listened to trespass only a couple times i yeah. really love gabriel's voice i gotta say i do it's too so much character and i love that song um and i love white mountain White as well Man. the knife is fantastic and the yeah. live version of that is great they're playing a ton live um, yes and they're sort of learning how to do it but you know Gabriel he talks about there's like he says like there's something like 36 strings on stage that need to be tuned every five seconds so he has to <laughs> he has to figure out little like stories to tell so, so yeah right telling these wild stories while they're tuning and sometimes he just keeps telling them even after they're finished tuning and it becomes he starts to take on more and more of a theatrical bent right as it goes on but that is sort out of, of develop out of necessity not because they thought hey we're going to combine these things and in fact when rutherford talks about his first impressions of peter gabriel as a as a classmate he's like he's this quiet unassuming guy you wouldn't really even pay attention to him except for sometimes he has outbursts where he like jumps up on a table and starts wailing a hymn <laughs> but other than that you know he's sort of meek and quiet and weird yeah and then on stage, he gets to open up his weirdness and 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 is starting to figure out like what works with a crowd. I but, mean, these again, these guys are talented, but they are not fully formed at this point. No, and so they have the they think about when Ant leaves because he gets stage fright, and there's just there's possibly as someone says, there's simply too much talent in one band. That's what right. I remember reading. Um, but they're all devastated by his departure. He leaves because right. of stage fright and right. because of some uh, probably some other complications related to songwriting. When you're when you're only releasing albums with six songs and, and you know yours is only one of them, then right. you just kind of feel slighted. Which appears to be a constant problem up, up into a, a certain point with Genesis. So he leaves along with John Mayhew, who is the drummer of the moment or the drummer on Trespass, at least the drummer on Trespass. And so they, but they decide they they really they. I think Rutherford says that the, that's the closest they ever came to busting up was when Ant left. Yeah, we were really were lacking, I think, a bit in just sort of in a solid base to the band. We had the ideas, and we had a lot of ideas in terms of sounds, and you know, we we're trying to be very ambitious musically, but we didn't have the drummer to cope with it at the time. 
and we really had to tell the drummer everything to do in those days. But they decide to hold, they have enough pull at this point to sort of put an ad in the Melody Maker. Because they do have a label. They do have a label. And Tony Stratton Smith is a mover and a shaker. He's a big, uh, he, besides the double-barreled last name, he's like a big <laughs> character. And right. like, they all love him. He's a, he's a key part of this whole saga. Right. I just answered an advert. Really? Yes. What did it say? The back page of Melody Maker used to be, well, it still is, I suppose. Um, that's sort of the place where you look if you're after a gig or you want musicians. And I, if you had, if you had a box around your advert, it was meant that you had enough money to get the box around your advert. <laughs> so I always looked for the boxes around the adverts. And uh, there was one that said, group needs drummer sensitive to acoustic music. And 12-string stroke lead guitarist. But, um, so they hold tryouts at Gabriel's house in Surrey, and yeah. it's got a pool. Right. It's got like an outdoor heated pool. Right. Which, you know, just just think about that situation in the late right. 60s. I mean, that's not everyone. No, no, no. And uh, Collins talks about going up there with his buddy. They're both his, they're, one's trying out for guitar, one's trying out for, right. he's trying out for drums. Right, there's two openings. And he's like, they 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 get there early, and Mrs. Gabriel says you should go take a swim in the pool. So he just goes and jumps in. They sent me out to the swimming pool to have a swim while they were auditioning the guys that were ahead of me, and because I could hear everything that was going on, and I could see these other guys' mistakes. I mean, one guy warmed up for 10, 15 minutes with a drum solo. Well, I knew that was the wrong attitude to take, so I didn't do that. And by the time I actually played, I knew all the bits that they were auditioning people with, you know. So I kind of, I mean, I thought, I'd like to think that I would have got it anyway. <laughs> But at the same time, it was a bit of cheating involved. So the way he tells it, you know, he knew how to play to sort of like um, fit in with this this crew. But when you hear Banks and Rutherford talk about it, they're like, this guy, instantly we could tell. We he's, knew he, he's he, the guy. 100%. Gabriel yeah. said the same thing. That he was, I think, young Phil Collins had talent oozing out of his Pours. Right, but no confidence. No confidence. And one thing you learn about Phil Collins is that he's not just that he can sing and that he's a great drummer and a very inventive drummer playing these incredibly intricate long songs. He's, they, they describe him as a real musician when no one else was and that right. he could pick up any instrument and make something sound good. That's what Gabriel says. He could make something sound good out of it. Very, very shortly, but he doesn't. He doesn't consider himself part of the creative core of the band no. at at first. But it oh, it also begs saying in in his autobiography, Gallons tells a long story about how he was asked to play congas on All Things Must Pass. Oh yeah, George Harrison's right. This uh, is in his gigging pre-Genesis days. Like yeah, sort of right before or that year maybe and he's young and he just smokes too many cigarettes he says he gets he's like wired at the audition oh no at the session yeah and phil specter is like is directing this monumental session with like you know 50 guys and and he's just hopping up he's so excited is ringo there i think well ringo would have been there at some of some for some Some of this clapton would have been around um and he becomes friends with eric but he um he completely, like, he, he overplays. Right. And uh, it becomes this running joke between him and George Harrison when they talk later. Harrison has no recollection of him being on there. And he pranks him later in life by saying, we found a copy of your Congos. And let's just play some... They, 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 they completely prank him. mess. Yeah, they, they, they make jokes out of it. But it's a second thing, though, where he's almost as a part of a Beatles project, but then not. He gets cut. Right. Right. 
yeah, this cutting room floor thing seems to to haunt him and and bother him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's again he's humbled by these things. He's like, you know, just when you think you're on top, it all falls apart. So mm-hmm. he's he's pretty cautious about celebration. The other thing that is true, it's starting here, um, is that he's a workhorse and his comfort zone is is working. Um, and so he's, he's, he just doesn't stop. He's always moving. Yeah. I think there's, um, you know, when you watch someone like Keith Moon drum, you think of the energy involved and the output of what he's doing. And I think, uh, Phil Collins has that to be that good of a drummer. I think you have to just have a naturally extreme, very, very high energy level. Yeah. Um, you know, before any substances or whatnot, just right. to just to be able to have the stamina. It's athletic. It's tough. But for Collins, that abundance of energy, that almost hyper, you know, energetic quality, it it translates into his like professional life, and that he never stops. He's always saying yes. He says yes to almost everything. Yeah. But it's it's manic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized after uh, reading this autobiography and just li- looking at the sheer amount of stuff he was involved with, there's something, man. I mean, it wasn't just that he loved to play right. or that he was really good at it. There is something he cannot stop moving. Yeah. Um, and he, 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 he loves it, yeah. but he cannot stop moving. Yeah. And it, to, to the point where it becomes like... The world has to the, the wheels have to really fall completely off of his caravan. Yeah. Uh, in the '90s, for him to sort of cool it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's no. I I think that's absolutely true. Well, I, we'll get a chance in the next episode <laughs> uh, to talk about what happens when it all stops. Yeah. And it's but it doesn't pretty stop insane. for a long a long time. time. So um, he gets Genesis recruits uh Phil. And shortly thereafter, uh, Steve Hackett in the lead guitar role yeah, because Gabriel. Rutherford is rhythm and bass. Yeah. We, uh, we again looked in Melody Maker and just under a able accordionist, which was always the first thing that got you in the, in the list of uh, you know, <laughs> alphabetical order, was um, a able guitarist, I think it was. And uh, they answered, like Mike and Tony went down to see him, very impressed by what he was doing. This is Steve Hackett. And then he joined. And that was in 1970, late 70 or early 71. It must be said that if you watch any of the interview footage with these guys, A, they're all, they're just very well spoken. Yeah. But Hackett just comes off as, as this, the nicest guy. And like, if you read the comments on all the YouTube, like, com- everyone's just like, that's Steve Hackett. He's a class act. <laughs> he's just, and he has, he hasn't aged at all compared to the other yeah. guys. He's, um... He, he he's there for the shortest amount of time, really. Yeah. But he, I've come to deeply appreciate Steve Hackett. At, at first, I thought he was responsible for the endless noodling, or like what I associate with prog rock, which was like how many notes can we cram in here? Yeah. But that's much more uh, Tony Banks than it is uh, Steve Hackett. Steve yeah. Hackett does it, and yeah. I and I happen to love when Tony Banks does it, but. Hackett has got a he's got an economical style of playing. People call it stiff, but I would just say it's it's um it's very structured and very it's its own uh not robotics the wrong word because it's deeply melodic and and full of emotion but it is um it's not wild right it's slightly contained so when it does burst yeah it 
it's um it's elegaic i mean it, it's it's yeah. it kind of is boundary bursting uh-huh. He, uh-huh. he can do it but anyway i thought hackett's a, a very humble guy who's happy to be along for the ride but again he's sort of a little bit of an outsider like phil yeah they i mean they both are for this next Definitely album of, yeah. uh nursery crime um <laughs> nursery crime <laughs> <laughs> uh they Hackett and Collins are not sure where they stand and how much they should offer and when, because Banks, um, Rutherford and Gabriel are, you know, the original remaining original members of the band and also very uh, forceful and vocal about um, the direction of each album and uh, Banks and Gabriel in particular being like old mates really go at it when they disagree. Yeah. And it's probably like hard to be around. And Phil Collins being a guy that like needs to like break the tension is spending most of his time like cracking one liners and trying to, you know, come on, deflate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we're a bit tense always, but you know, I'm quite a tense person. And uh, I remember endless arguments, particularly being Peter, you know, myself, you know, we used to shout at each other all the time. And uh, Phil used to sometimes get very frightened of what was going on at all, you know. But then he, you know, he, he'd sort of find his own kind of niche and he was, he made it sort of easier, I think. I think it was quite an important addition. Um, I, th- I think it was, yes, I think that was his, probably at that stage was, was one of the most important things he did, really, was to sort of keep us a bit sort of saner. Yeah, I think that Rutherford's more retreating. Yeah. Although he's got, he's a very substantial guy. Yeah. But, um... It, the the sparks fly between Gabriel and Banks, who were like brothers, right? And, um, but it's the creative energy that fuels the thing. And nursery crime is good. And one of the, I mean, I think it's 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 pretty good. Um, the There's song, some good stuff. I mean, the musical there. box is what is. Was, Can was I just people. read the uh, the summary of what the musical box? is about please, the story of it. Yeah. The, this is from Wikipedia. A young boy, Henry, is accidentally decapitated by his friend Cynthia while playing croquet. Returning to the house, Cynthia plays Henry's old music box, which unleashes the spirit of Henry as an old man. Henry has become sexually frustrated and attempts to seduce Cynthia. The nurse enters the room, hurts the music, hurls the musical box against the wall, destroying both it and Henry. So he called for his pipe, and he called for his bowl, and he called for his fiddlers three. The clock tick tock on the mantelpiece, and I want, and I feel, and I know. Um, unlike a lot of the other bands we, we've profiled here, um, for the most part, I have no idea what most of the lyrics are about in Genesis songs. I mean, I have some idea. That said, once you get a little tip from Tony Banks as far as like what a song is about, you re-listen and you go like, oh yeah, I hear it yeah, now. I get it now. Yeah, get it. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know what to say. Like he's... He uh, 
Gabriel has a very vivid imagination. But you'll notice, like, in the middle of that, there's something about croquet. I mean, who's writing about croquet and rock and roll? <laughs> and they just, it's just part of it. Yeah. And it's this aesthetic that the, the people, they talk about playing festivals in the early days, and um, Banks is always like 90% of the people there had no idea what we were doing. Right. But the 10% that did. Followed us around the country. We like audiences that uh, sit down and listen to the music. With every tour, with every show, they are building um, a following, mostly of young male academics. Yes. (laughs) Who love every bit of this and are devoted. And, um, you know, word is spreading. Um, You know, influence, like, like influence-wise, while... Um, Collins brings the jazz angle to it and yeah. the polyrhythmic stuff that and it, his it it, it were it what was what what gelled so well was that uh, Collins was interested in like sort of saying hey let's write something in you know 712 time you know uh, and and I want to try it that's a, that's yeah, a, and, yeah. and Banks was interested in the exact same kind of thing yeah you got the sense that the other guys were slightly along for the ride in that regard however um Banks and Hackett, their most of their influences were classical, mm. and one I remember when Banks was uh, describing their sound, and he says that we were unlike most British rock groups. Yeah, we were really not coming from rhythm and blues bass. Right, right. We were coming with the exception of Collins. With the exception of Collins, yeah. we were not playing covers of you know. Uh, Blind Lemon Johnson, you know, right. we're, we were, right. or Howlin' Wolf or something like right. that. We were, they were more interested in sort of slightly vaudeville, but really Benjamin Britten, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But adapting that into this new... This um, new thing that's sort of new finding me- medium, its This new medium, this new language, yeah. Um, should we play something? This, so this is not necessarily indicative of the bigger sort of Genesis vision, but this is actually what Hackett and Collins contribute uh, to this album, which is called For Absent Friends. Sunday at six when they close both the gates A widow pair still sitting there Wonder if they're late for church and it's cold So they fasten their coats and cross the So that's Phil Collins singing for the first time on a Genesis mm. album. Um, and what's neat there and what they say is um, is this added benefit to Phil Collins being in the band is that Phil and Peter's voices are so sort of so similar that when they sing together and it happens on that song, um, it sounds like vocal double tracking mm-hmm. but it's happening live in the moment it creates this really awesome sound to the point that i thought that there was a point in genesis when peter gabriel left and phil collins took over vocals mm-hmm. that there was a line in the sand which is not necessarily the case there's this sort of blurring that happens no. starting 
once he joins the band. We all come in with an idea or separately, you know. Uh, someone comes in with an idea and we all expand upon it. And we write the words, the music, the arrangements, all democratically. So it's everyone does their own bits. For me, it gets, I, I while well, I enjoy Nursery Crime, once you get to Foxtrot, I, you know, you'd hear people sort of talk about Foxtrot with um, hushed voices and, and it, it represents the absolute mountain top of uh, prog rock. And I had no idea what they were talking about. Yeah, um, no, me neither. And I, I'll just say this um, to you right now and to our <laughs> listeners. This is a confessional. Um, I was wrong. <laughs> I don't. I don't know anything. I think the 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 entire side of Foxtrot that is occupied by oh Supper's Ready, it, to my way of thinking, as a forty-two-year-old man, is one of the greatest bits of popular music put on tape. I, unlike almost any of the stuff. I mean, we we've covered some amazing music, but this has been was fresh to me and. Uh, I, I find out that it, for a long time it was considered one of the greatest songs ever written, but because it's never played on airway, because it's 23 minutes long, it's never it's never played on radio. Yeah, you know, people know "Stairway to Heaven" and "Hey Jude." They don't know "Supper's Ready." Right. "Supper's Ready" is about five different songs smashed together in a way that shouldn't work, but it's it's the it's the high point of Foxtrot. It, a lot of people would say it's the high point of Genesis. Some people would say it's the high point of all of prog rock, if not that entire period of music. And um, I, I just want to say that I agree. And I was, I, I repent. You know what can I say? I was, I was deeply mistaken about this. And I watched, I've watched live versions of it over and over again. Really? And watching the way that Gabriel would stage it, watching the funny costumes he would wear, the dance moves that he would do, the uh, just um, bonkers uh, <laughs> apocalypse in 9-8. I keep trying to figure out how that rhythm goes and I never get it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it's really about. I think it has something to do with the second coming. I think it has. it's like about the new Jerusalem and uh-huh. supper's ready. It's the supper of the lamb. So there's all this biblical imagery. but And a lot of times that signals like it's going to stink but um it, right. <laughs> uh, some of the some of the reviewers say they do they sound downright biblical and they mean that in the in the way that of like the heavens opening yeah at yeah the end of that at the end of that well hey sorry that, no, I, no, I no. just hijacked to talk about supper's no, no, no. ready but supper's ready it will also be this high watermark that they have to contend with right yeah people, they're going to be battling that uh for the next three-ish albums, I, I would say, um, kind of figuring out uh, they 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 stumbled upon something great, and they have to uh, run with it uh, and build upon it, and it's it's not easy. I would say they do a pretty damn good job. Um, but what two things that uh, when you were talking just now, one thing that that Genesis continues to do, and I think maybe they they discover it here, is that a lot of it has to do with Tony Banks uh, understanding how to build to a climax, and then uh, Peter Gabriel nailing that climax vocally so that you have this completely uplifting, euphoric moment in a song. Um, which is just not easy to do, and yet these guys 
like it, it's it's almost it's a formula for them and it's not one that they wear thin I would say at least not for a while um, and it's it's pretty incredible the other thing that I, I I was having to grapple with is that you know especially now we live in a time when it's it's you know album the, the album itself is it feels a little out outdated I don't mean Foxtrot I mean the concept of an album feels outdated we live in a singles culture you know and that's not the first time that's happened but this is a real bubble where albums are all you need yeah right the musician is safe within that construct and in fact with Supper's Ready they actually push the physical limits of an LP yeah. at that point you can't like fit much more in the grooves I, right I, and, and what you say is that I, Banks tells this story of that this Apocalypse in nine eight is this time signature that's very very difficult to play, and they're quote unquote jamming on it, which you got the sense they're really just trying to figure out if they can do it, and um, Banks is very very proud of it, and then but he didn't think that there'd ever be lyrics to it, and then <laughs> Gabriel right. adds lyrics, and and Banks who who doesn't like to be proven wrong it seems. Uh, there's a point in the song where Gabriel comes in singing six six six. It's no longer alone, um, and the, the seven trumpets blowing sweet rock and roll. It's uh, he said it it were he he just basically says I was proved wrong. It was fantastic. Yeah. And it's- Actually, seven songs or seven parts, right? Um, and there's some twee moments. Narcissus gets mentioned. I mean, it's like a, uh, but I think it's unlike anything I'd ever heard before, and I I felt um, humbled by it myself, and I can't seem to get enough of it. And um, it's also not strictly tied to even to Gabriel because there's a live version of Collins doing it. Yeah, some might say he does it even better. Yeah. It's it's. However, yeah. the stark difference there is the the stage performance. <laughs> yeah. He's right. Like, so, what, can you talk about Mrs. Fox for a second? Yeah. So I think they talk about the 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 seeds of Gabriel leaving is when he starts to want to wear more costume. He gets inspired and he thinks he needs to spice things up. And he's the front. I mean, these are long songs. And so, but he decides not to run it by any of the band members, right. and he takes one of his wife's dresses. And Peter Gabriel, at this point, is by always skinny as a as a reed. Yeah. And he has a fox head made. Remember yeah. the album is Foxtrot, and he just walks out on stage uh, wearing this during the middle of a concert in Dublin, and the guys had no idea it was coming. Right. And because he says they would have said no. It's during uh, Musical Box. During Musical Box. Because yeah. remember, these are slightly repressed, uh, you know, posh <laughs> right. English guys. Right. And, but, and, and he's breaking out of that big time. And also, I, I, I shared an interview with you, with you earlier where um, 
Gabriel says he's clearly influenced uh, at the time by Alice Cooper yep. and Bowie, who uh, both had donned uh, dresses or versions of, of female clothes, and maybe it just hadn't, you know. Yeah, maybe it just hadn't gra- quite hit. taken. But he has other. In, in, during one of the portions, he wear, he puts on an enormous flower, which is like apparently hard to sing in, but it it, it is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, if you think that kind of thing is cool at all, it's the cool version of it. And um, he he's taking it. Uh, he starts to make headlines for what he's wearing, and in fact, right, that's a it's, total it's shift. Very kind of shrewd or canny, because even the people that hate what they're doing are learning about them this way. But Peter, Gabriel, it becomes Gabriel really becomes the focus of the press. And the next week, he was on the front page of Melody Maker. And uh, we put a note on the end of our earnings, you know. I mean, from £600 a night, it went to, we were earning a grand a night, I guess, as, as, a, as, a, as a working band, which was, that was a bit of status at that time. Mm-hmm. That was how much you earned a night, you know. And we thought, okay, you know, we made it. Suddenly, it's Peter Gabriel and Genesis. Yeah. Right. It's Peter. And, it's a new era. And that, that becomes a, a thing. Oh, and, and well, they, Especially for Tony Banks. Especially for Tony Banks. <laughs> which, um... By the way, I want to just say this right now. I think Tony Banks is, is almost a genius. I think he's yeah. absolutely brilliant. So when I laugh about him, it's because his persona is so English and so <laughs> cantankerous and just um, he, he's full of things to say. He's a sparkling intellect. Um, but he's I don't. The I don't. Driest. Wanna, he's yeah, the I mean, dr- he can really like. Um, level an insult and you have no idea you've just been stabbed it's incredible yeah, I, I almost gave up when I saw I saw one group who can remain nameless I think but um they in Dallas in San Francisco they were a bit legendary it was I must admit I just thought it was the most tasteless and awful thing I'd ever seen and the sound was terrible and I, I came around really depressed I thought Christ were like that you know because I thought you know there's no particular reason why we shouldn't be you know people could see us like that put it like that you could see the effects as being irrelevant and you could see the music could sound that bad. I've no idea, really. I mean, you just don't know. Because I'm behind there and all the stuff. It sounds great on stage where I am, you know, but I'm controlling my own sound, you know. I've no idea what's happening up front. Yeah, I mean, he's not... He's an unlikely rock star, we'll put it that way. Yeah. But so when we slag him off, uh, it's only because I, I think he's... He's responsible for most of my favorite songs in Genesis. Yeah. And um, and then once they start to collaborate more, he's responsible for a lot of that great stuff. But so they go from uh, Foxtrot to a new level of interest where they record what a lot of people say. When you look at the what people say is their favorite Genesis record, this one comes in. Supper's Ready is usually towards the top of that, especially for this iteration of yeah. Genesis. Um, selling English by England by the pound um, is considered by many to be the high watermark. Uh, it, it's sort of they, it's seen as a, sl- a slight step back from Supper's Ready mm-hmm. uh, or Foxtrot, um, a little bit more um, provincial or mm-hmm. pastoral. But I don't even know if that's really true because it's got some epics. I mean, it's got yeah. it's right out the gate. It's got this very funny... Uh, it's their first cover, by the way, their first album cover that I think actually is... Um, I really like. They depart from Paul Whitehead, who did the previous three uh, album I, I covers. I think con- they're, they're just—they're uh, not great. Well, so Foxtrot is 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 a little uneven. The perspective is strange. It, it just seems like it's thrown together, but it does have Mrs. Fox on it, which is what Peter Gabriel, you know, modeled that character on. 
So, I mean, selling England by the pound, what's your, what is your... Uh... Uh, well, I, I have, it's become truly in, infectious for me. Um, their first kind of single, their first hit in the UK, which is I Know What I Like. Play us a couple bars in, of that. Uh, in your wardrobe. It's one o'clock and time for lunch. Bum da dum de dum When the sun beats down and I lie on the bench, I can always hear them talk. There's always been airflow. Jacob, wake up, we got a tiny room now. And then Mr. Lewis wasn't the time that he was out on his own. Over the garden wall, two little lovers could go to you. Keep them moving, they shot. so much there's always so much going on especially with this uh, uh, version of the band it's so dense there's so much to appreciate every time I listen I'm I'm enjoying it a new way but every time I'm just totally infatuated with Gabriel's vocals yeah which is odd then that they in the middle of this record it, it, Phil has his first actual uh, lead vocal which is more fool me, which is a good song. Great song. And you did a word who was laughing and giving me something I don't need. And you know I'd always hold you and keep you warm. Yes, I'm sure it will work out all right. That song has a real Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young vibe to it. It does, which is also what Phil Collins sort of noted about some tracks from Trespass. When he when he first heard Genesis, mm-hmm. um, he was like, yeah, they got kind of a CSN vibe. I got to say, though, when it comes to selling by the pound, for me, um, there's one moment which is in my top, also in my top Genesis moments, and that is the guitar solo on the Firth of Fifth. Um, Firth of Fifth, which is a, I hope I'm saying that right, it is a showstopper. It is one of uh, Hackett's finest moments. It's a thing of some vibrato in there. Great beauty, and that was probably when we were doing this before supper's ready. Uh, when I hooked into that song, uh-huh. I realized I was in another whole other universe. And um, 
again, I have no idea what Gabriel's singing about. I just know I want to keep hearing it. Yeah, totally. Um, it This is also... There's a couple big things that happen at this point with this album. One is... Uh, I know what I like is big enough in the UK that they get offered um, top of the pops and they turn it down, turn it down. Yeah. Which is a real sort of statement for this band. They thought Gabriel after the fact, long after the fact is basically like, you know, the arrogance of these assholes. (laughs) He's talking about himself, but you know, the, the arrogance of youth is, is clearly, um, uh, happening in that moment when they turned down the biggest show, the the thing that could 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 launch them to a new level, and they're like, "That's that's our, we'd be betraying our fans, you yeah, know, if we did something that mainstream." Um, the other thing is that uh, there's a serious bookkeeping errors, and suddenly it's revealed they're they're deep in debt, and they fire their old manager, and they pick up a new manager, which is not Tony Stratton Smith. I believe it's Tony Smith. So it's a, there's another Tony Smith in the mix. That, yeah. um, but uh, he helps them move to uh, a new level and they do their first uh, American tour. Yeah. Um, and it's all, they do it in two limousines. They drive the whole time. And so they really get a sense of America. And remember, I mean, it's like a really English, English band. Yeah. And um, but they they they've done very very well in America over the years as we as we as anyone who grew up with them in the eighties knows. But at this point, it's still a lot for um, people to take in. I mean, I think uh, yeah. But, Gabriel's but, a little too weird for the states. I mean, I remember going to see a Bad Company show years and years ago in Dallas, and out of fifteen thousand people that were there, five thousand people were there to pick up girls. And the other 5,000 were in the toilet throwing up because they're taking too many, too many drugs and, and drunk too much. And the other 5,000 people actually listen to the music. Whereas at one of our shows, I think you get far more percentage <laughs> throwing up. Inevitable, that wasn't it. was actually walked into the There's one song on there. When I, you know, they, had, they do these like retrospectives of each album and they talk about them and basically Tony Banks sort of grumbles through them and, and <laughs> Phil cracks a couple jokes and Mike is very even keel. But Gabe, <laughs> Gabriel is sort of slightly amused when they get to the Battle of Epping Forest. They said, uh-huh. that, now that's a track that worked really well before there were any vocals on there. And then it pans to Peter Gabriel and was like, I think I tried to put too many word, <laughs> words on that. And if you listen to it, it's like, he basically, it's like an early Springsteen thing. He's just trying to pack as many words onto that thing. And I remember being like, I love selling English by the pound, but I could, I could kind of do without the Battle of Epping Forest. Which, you know, from the get-go. A couple of songs on it are really not... Not up to scratch, you know, for me. Hmm. The Battle of Evan Forest is an example, which is a song that I, I it's got so, I, I mean, I, we loved it when we were writing it, and I think it's got a lot of great bits in it, but it just doesn't hang together. It's too much going on. And, you know, a song like that can kind of put, put one off an album. To save my steeple, I visited people, for this I had gone when I met little John. His name came, I understood, when the judge said, You are a robbing hood. Collins mentions later that he feels, um, and the guys say in interviews as well that they were they were hiding behind their cleverness and their bookishness and they were kind of afraid to say anything yeah. earnest. And yeah. that's where a lot of this stuff came they're out. They're young from. guys and they're just drawing on the things they love as as young men. You know, all but they're their afraid to write an actual love song. Or For sure, they're actually afraid. A hundred. The complicated stuff is a bit of a shield yeah. <laughs> against genuine or uh, that kind of plain spoken emotion. 
totally, totally. And it's on this tour that uh, Phil um, catches up with an old girlfriend, uh, Andy, um, in Canada mm-hmm. because Canada is part of this tour, and they uh, they strike up they re- rekindle their old teen romance um and we'll catch up with that a little bit later but uh just that's when that starts to happen right there you know when you read uh, phil collins autobiography the very beginning he he feels like he's got to say that he believes in love and he believes in marriage he's just as terrible at it or something like that <laughs> because he's been married a number of times and his his romantic travails which take up a large portion of that book are really um uh let's just say um, convoluted. <laughs> They're very, he's shooting himself in the foot a lot. A lot. Um, but yeah, he has these, uh, you know, pan-Atlantic uh, relationships. But so then, by the way, on the, I think on that tour... This is, is only like 70, 73, 74. 74. Like we're getting into 74. Gabriel, though, when they're back in America, for the, I think they're second, they go back again. And Gabriel decides he's leaving the band. Or he, he wants to leave the band. You know why? Huh. Because he wants to work with... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wait, does that happen right now? It happens or? while the, while they're sort of working on The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, right. which is their next uh, thing. But um, why why am I forgetting his name? Uh, the guy who did well, The Exorcist. Billy, William, William, Billy, Billy Friedkin. William Friedkin. Billy Friedkin somehow sees... So there's a, a 1973 uh, live album, Genesis Live, mm-hmm. and uh, Peter Gabriel. It, it's, it's too long to read, probably, but he writes a little story, probably one of these stories that he tells li- live on stage in the early days when there's um, uh, tuning going on. Uh, but it's on one of the liner notes of, of Genesis Live about a woman who strips down in a subway car and reveals like a, a golden scepter underneath herself and her skin melts away and all this stuff. But it's enough, right. yeah. <laughs> it's enough to sort of captivate uh, uh, William Friedkin and Friedkin touches, like reaches out to Peter Gabriel and says, do you, do you want to develop a screenplay w- with me? And Friedkin had just done n- not only The Exorcist, but also The French Connection. I mean, he's like one of the biggest directors in Hollywood at that point. Yeah. Uh, and Gabriel's like, well, yeah. And of course, we were on a roll, you know. And we said, no, if you want to leave, if you want to do it, you're going to have to leave. I mean, it sounds completely unreasonable at the time, but and now, but at the time, it, it seemed more logical. So um, he said, okay, well, I'll leave, you know. So he left for a couple of weeks while we were doing The Lamb, writing it. And uh, William Freakin, I guess, panicked. He said, I don't want to split the band up. You know, I mean, it's only an idea. It might not even work. He's like, I don't want to be Genesis Yoko. <laughs> this is Hollywood. A lot of stuff doesn't pan out, as we know. <laughs> so it's like uh, he, he, he sort of says, don't get, don't get ahead of yourself. Yeah. But it's the first, it, it kind of comes out that he's going to leave and then he decides to stay. Yeah. They start to record The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, and there's a big fight over this, too, because he wants it to be a concept album. Right. 
and he does not that which means he thinks that one person should write the lyrics and that person should be him right and a story is not something made by committee made by committee and i think that that will follow him through as someone um as rutherford i think is quoted as saying i think that the the band compromise the element of just other people having a say yeah was always going to be hard for peter with that kind of a, of a vision right but it's at this time his wife gets very sick. Their first chi- their their first child almost dies. Um, I think it's their first child. And there's a bit of a ticking clock too. I think on the label uh, wanting an album and and them needing to deliver. Uh, there's there's scheduling stuff going on that forces them to to pound this stuff out. And what happens is like I think it's. Uh, um, Phil Collins that says there's there's day Genesis and there's night Genesis and night Genesis is Peter Gabriel um, working with uh, like a couple members of the band to create sort of one sound and the story um, and then in the morning Tony Banks comes in and goes like I, I don't like any of this and it gets sort of scrapped so there's this churning thing going on and essentially there's division that's starting to happen and it's mostly like the band and then peter but gabriel part of this is forced by the fact that he's having to travel back and forth where his wife and child are right so he has to seriously remotely yeah yeah yeah. and And of course tony banks is pretty callous yeah and they all regret they all think we they could have been nicer to him right also they're recording in uh uh headley grange headley grange where uh zeppelin four had been yeah right so it's it's the halls of of when the levee breaks the bottom echo the drums echoing up the, the corridor. It's a it's a fascinating thing. I mean, um, also again in interviews, Banks is very clear. It's like I don't understand the story. It, it wasn't a very strong story, but the, the, I love the music. <laughs> he still, yeah. <laughs> and um, I think the story is also kind of confusing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. Uh, but I don't really care. You know? No, no, no. There's some amazing. We should play some stuff okay, and then we can play, talk. I want to play Fly on the Windshield. Great. The, the great moment where they all come in. Oh. The dust settles on my skin, making a crust I cannot move. And I'm hovering like a fly, waiting for the windshield on the freeway. eat your heart out also that uh, i feel like there's some bonham influence when those drum when phil comes in on the drums it's immense oh you know who else went to court charterhouse <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> peter grant the zeppelin uh, oh, really? uh the impresario kind Probably of around manager. the same time as them right yeah not that i mean he was maybe he was a, a little character. older and uh, Phil will become f- good friends with Robert Plant. And in fact, he plays it. <laughs> we'll find out in, in part two his role in the, the, the very uh, Ill- oh, yeah. ill-conceived Zeppelin reunion at Live Aid. Um, but The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. It's about Rael. It's conce- I think it's conceived what I've heard Gabriel saying. It's supposed to be uh, you know John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. 
Pilgrim's Progress uh-huh. uh, translated into sort of 70s New York. Which gives me a much easier. I mean, I've read that as <laughs> that, a as that a kid. You? Well, I, it it helps me. I've read that, that that was like a, the children's version of that as a child. but yeah. it, I had no idea, and I would have had no idea, um, based on just listening to the record. The record though starts out with probably their fiercest rock song they've ever recorded, or one of them with the, the landlord on Broadway. It, it's a it's a great album. Story-wise, as you were saying, uh, Rael is a kid um, from New York. Basically, a movie screen in in Times Square kind of opens up and swallows him into like an alternate universe that is New York. But I have to... (laughs) The second half of of the album is where it gets batshit insane. And I just have to at least read what the story, quote unquote, uh, of that part of the album is. Rael ends up in a pool with three Lamia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a good song. Uh, Beautiful snake like creatures he has sex with them but they die after drinking some of his blood he leaves the pool in a boat and finds himself in a group of slipper men distorted grotesque men who have all had the same experience with the lamia he has become one of them uh rael finds john uh, a friend of his uh, among the slipper men who reveals that the only way to become human again is to visit <laughs> dr diaper and be castrated both are castrated and keep their removed penises in containers around their necks. Rael's container is taken by a raven, and he chases after it, leaving John behind. The raven drops the container in a ravine and into a rushing underground river. Uh-huh. It goes on from there, but that's just a, a little taste of The Lamb Lies Down. Yeah, on, it's not straightforward. I mean, I would have preferred a, a simpler plot. The, 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 um, the live show is what we have to talk about well, the live show, with the- that. Exactly. Well, I think he's. All I know is I've seen the the costume for the Slipperman. Uh, is <laughs> it's truly grotesque. It is, and it's disgusting. But I think doesn't he emerge from a giant phallus at one point? Yeah, and it's and Collins talks about it. Basically, you know. I know that sort of every rock band of the era says that they have Spinal Tap moments. Yeah. But this truly truly. is Spinal Tap. I mean, like, the sets are going awry, microphones are falling off, you know, everybody's trying to, like, keep it together as this insane, you know, set piece um, plays out in in front of crowds that are just trying to understand. And also, they're playing the album. They're not playing any Genesis songs that the crowd crowd knows. So we went into America with all our paraphernalia, you know, all the staging and everything. So we couldn't play on a a double bill with the band because we couldn't support the band because they didn't want the aggravation of so much equipment. 
so we ended up playing uh, like three or four thousand seater halls, maybe the half half full, maybe some nights or some places were, were full. You know? But uh, we had to start from that point. I would say this though, Lex, if this was the first uh, Genesis record you got, um, it's not the easiest to get into. And now that I've been around the block with these guys, I, I think it's 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 uh, outside of like the first track. It's hard. It's tough. It is. But what actually? So it was kind of the, my first Genesis album, like stepping outside of '80s pop hits. Um, it was my first, and the the way I got into it is because the songs are shorter. Yeah. Right. And and that's what makes that's it. That's what got you. Even but though I it's actually to it on, one long song. On yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I listened to it on CD, right? So it was uh, it was more consumable. I could I could skip to tracks that kind of hooked me. Yeah. Um. So that's how I got into it and started to um, appreciate it. But speaking of the recording, we should also talk about um, who's upstairs recording uh, <laughs> when they when they do uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which is. Um, Brian Eno. Mr. Brian Eno. Mr. Brian Eno. LaSalle, you know, Marquis. Yeah, or whatever that's right. Stuff. Um, and I think they ask him for some to, to borrow one of his keyboards or something like that. Maybe yeah. a pedal. And he says, sure. but And he sort of lends a little bit of talent. They call it uh, enosifications. That's what Peter Gabriel calls any Eno touches on that album. He calls enosifications. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, see, I, I didn't quite understand. I just know that Phil says he was sort of loaned out he's like i was sent up there like what am i supposed to do or like just do what it takes you know or uh, yeah, right, right 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 it was a little bit he jokes about it but he's sent up there and he ends up playing drums on uh mother whale eyeless on i think is that's that taking song. tiger tiger mountain yeah ta- it's on taking tiger mountain but that song in particular he, he does drums on but then they strike up a friendship and he plays on um, before and after science another green world and actually, I didn't is, know any of that. It turns out <laughs> Phil Collins is playing drums on all these avant-garde, like cutting-edge Eno records. And he's not the as only cool one. As it gets, he's not the only. I mean, sorry, Eno is not the only uh, uh, loan out from Phil Collins. Phil Collins starts to do session work around this time for uh, some other, you know, big, cool avant-garde uh, folks at the time. Camel. Uh, Peter Banks, um, he actually gets into official classic rock territory. He plays on Teaser, which is a Tommy Bolin song. Tommy Bolin was Joe Walsh's replacement um, in the James Gang. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Collins is starting to branch out a little bit, and he uh, he forms... He's part of Brand X. Brand X is his uh, attempt to do like a fusion jazz uh, ensemble. And I, I don't, th- I mean, it's not as jazzy as you think. I mean, here, let's play yeah. Nuclear Burn. Great. Great album cover. I think you get the idea. Yeah, the fusion jazz. Yeah, I'm not really here for that stuff. I got to be honest with you. Like, I, I know that he needs to get it out on, of his system. It depends on the day for me. Okay, but he's got again. This man has chops for days. Like he can do anything on the drum set. Yeah, and, and that's he, why he's called. He's, again, he's also clearly a fun guy to hang out with. You, right, you get that sense. But he is. Um, he's gigging. He's gigging, and he's uh, uh, when Genesis. So so. Gabriel says, I'll stay through this tour. 
they do a tour and he's like he's like sort of i mean they don't i don't think they finished the tour well he well they they there's like one the last one gets canceled it's kind of a, a like a, a whimper of an of an ending their their yeah. last show with peter gabriel is in france to a small crowd and it's just kind of like i'm done yeah and he, there's no big outro he, you know he writes, the last peter gabriel show nothing like that he ends up writing you know a huge hit about his leaving Genesis, which is Salisbury Hill, it's written about him sort of branching out into the future. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting is, you know, he was going to work on a screenplay for The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And you know who he, who he was working with? No. Alejandro Jodorowsky. Oh, yeah. He who, loves El Topo, right? El Topo he loves. And, you know, Jodorowsky was a couple years away from trying to adapt Dune. Yeah. Which, and that, but that, there's a whole documentary about that. And Have how you seen it, that? How, I've never seen it's that. It's unbelievable. But oh, I need it's, to watch it. Cause, mainly because Jodorowsky's so interesting. Yeah, yeah. But he leaves. He leaves. It was upsetting. It was very emotional, really. I've been with him for, you know, since school, and it was rather sad, but uh, it presented us with a new challenge and did both sides good. It was kind of slight relief when he left, although we knew he had an awful lot of problems to overcome in terms of, uh, of finding a singer and, uh, and all that, and also the fact that the whole image of the band was totally wrapped up in Peter Gabriel. And they, there's, no, they, they, there's no question in their mind that they want to keep going. Right. And Phil Collins says, well, we'll just be an instrumental band. And <laughs> the rest of the guys, including management, are like, uh, no, we're not doing it. No, 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 no. To my point of view, I knew the band, uh, not with me as a singer, because at that point I had no idea. But just the band could sustain itself, you know, because yeah. the band was good enough. It was like four-fifths of the writing material left. And they've all been writing songs all along. It's not That part's not changing. Uh, the sen- sensibility shifting. And so... They start out to audition singers. Yep. We did come up with a few, uh, well, a lot of replies, about 400 replies, uh, with tapes and with uh, uh, records that people have made, or the records, tapes of people singing along to our records, all kinds of things. And uh, the office sifted them out, and we got about 30 short on the short list. Did anyone come close? Not really, yeah. It was quite depressing, because we'd be rehearsing for, you know, like six weeks or something, and every Monday we'd have five or six people down. And uh, they'd come down and they'd, they'd sing. We'd, I'd teach them some of the songs and then they'd, they'd uh, sing it. And we'd say, okay, we'll, we'll keep you in mind, you know? And meanwhile, they're working on their next album. Mm-hmm. They're laying, uh, I mean, they're kind of working the way they have been, which is everybody brings a little something. Um, and, you know, the last album, Peter was separate creating vocals. Um, so there's... They don't really feel a need while they're recording at that stage to have a vocalist. Mm-hmm. And um, Phil is just kind of doing, I mean, as we've already seen, he's he's sung some songs b- before. And so he's handling vocals, but in a temp fashion. 
Yeah, I rem- they they talk about him putting down a couple of uh, you know um, he he does like a, a guide vocal for Squonk, man, which is their sort of Zeppelin song. It's What's- a great song. Hold on, we just gotta play. Yeah, do Squonk. it. It becomes their their opener for their, all their concerts for a long time. Bill, this. sorry, you what? I had a bit of a eureka with Squonk, but well, I mean, it's it's the first thing that sounds like the Genesis we know, right? Yeah, it's the first song where you're like, oh, yeah, 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 I can I can hear that Genesis, and this is 1976, 1976, I think, it's, and yep. that song Squonk, that is the audition material. That it's like if if the if the person can nail that, um, then they know. That's that's their guy. I mean, in addition to some other factors of just kind of sensibility in the band. Um, I don't think they're requiring that the guy play the flute like Gabriel used. To. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're probably happy to have the flute out of the out of the mix. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, and eventually, it's just not clicking, and Phil's like, eh, "Let me let me give it a go." I couldn't work out what would happen. You know, I was a drummer, really. So what was I going to do? I wanted to sing behind the drum kit. Anyway, it. Um, we ended up having no singer with music, so I started singing track by track. I said, well, I will try this one, see how it goes, and it started to sound good. But I think even still, you know, they, so they go ahead and they record with Phil as vocalist, but Phil said, I mean, maybe the other guys feel a different way, but Phil is kind of like, for this album, it's temp. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to be the lead singer. I can't be... I'm not a lead singer. Yeah. Essentially, I'm the drummer. It's like very bad visually to sit behind a drum kit in front of all those people and expect them to be interested, you know. So uh, we get a drummer for touring, and so we got Bruford, Bill Bruford, to play drums, and I started singing. Do you call him Prague Royalty? Is that every? I don't think I've ever heard him mentioned in any kind of publication is without saying Prague Royalty, Bill Bruford. Hi, I'm Prague Royalty, Bill, Bu- Bill Buford. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah, he fills in for a little bit and sort of gives Phil the confidence to feel like he's got a solid drummer behind him so that he can take um, center stage. But even still, like he's not feeling great about being up front at no. this point. And you you see images of him at this. He's fi- he's very much figuring it out. He he can nail all the vocals. He's he's totally on pitch in every regard, but he can't be Peter. That's like the no. biggest thing, right? Is that And he doesn't really try, but no. he doesn't know what he's going to be there's other than There's a touch of theatricality. There again, like you said, there's In the vocals, there's a, there's the but not But the, even on not... stage, like it's very small, right? Mm-hmm. He's he kind of embodies character a little bit but it's yeah. it's it's awkward oh i don't think there's any change of wardrobe no 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 it's it's like gesturing it's sort of like a little bit of patter before to sort of set set things up that that kind of thing but the other thing that tony banks talks about is like phil is still singing other people's songs so he's not sort of wholly in the the emotion 
mm-hmm. of these songs that he's singing either. Yeah, there's a different quality. This is um, uh, here's a, a spoiler for me. This period, trick of the tail, wind and weathering, seconds out is my favorite period of Genesis. I think it's... I love Trigger It's before Phil becomes more of a pop star with his vocals and maybe slightly starts to over-sing, in, yeah. in my uh, opinion. I, I think there's plenty of amazing moments as it goes on. But um, the slight tentativeness where he's lower in the mix and Banks is sort of... And Rutherford are kind of directing him. Yeah. Um, I there's and and Hackett is still playing his heart out. There's a magic to it. A lot of people consider there to be magic. There's there's a it's 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 a slight it's the same band as a different band. This is why it's so interesting to talk about. Um, th- like Entangled, for example, it's the second song. Oh my god! And we half of it was that. written by, um, half of it was written by uh, Hackett, as you can tell, and then it goes into a Tony Banks chorus, and it's like this Beach Boys thing happening. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Mesmerized children are playing Meant to be seen but not heard Stop me from dreaming Don't be I mean that so beautiful. It, it literally sweeps me away. It's it's elegant and musical, and mm. I think that that's what these guys just are so musical. Yeah, and also uh, you, you got uh, dance on a volcano on the <laughs> like that, which is silly, but it's it's great. Uh, trick of the tail. Trick of the tail is might be my favorite track on there. That's uh, I, I don't know if it's the first time, but it's the first time I noticed that uh, uh, Tony is putting an alien story in there. He loves every once in a while an alien abduction story. That's the first one about a guy that gets... don't even know of our existence. <laughs> wrong to believe the in us. the city of gold. Lies in the distance we cry. Ripples is a sort of a slow dance kind of song, which is 
a gorge, gorgeous. Yeah. The the again the melodies the the he, he would all he keeps talking about himself being such a romantic and who Tony uh, Tony and yeah. the the lyrics aren't necessarily that romantic though they though they are if you kind of read them but um it's the music that's so romantic it's so sweeping and you know, yeah pretty and 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 he can they they like to take different parts of things and sort of weave them together in uh, slightly classical ways I think well there's there's I think there's a I said that they had this light touch before, but I actually think that there's a sort of a piece of darkness that leaves with Peter Gabriel that makes them, especially this album, uh, a little sweeter. Mm -hmm. And without Peter Gabriel, they're actually, they feel even more innocent than they ever did, oddly. Um, which I, I think is another factor in what keep makes them feel separate from the other, uh, Prague bands for me is they they always have a bit of naivete and childishness even though they're accomplished um and this album in particular just feels so sweet it's uh just uh i just think it's so beautiful it's so beautiful. do you know what a squonk is by the way no clue it's a mythical a mythological warthog type creature uh from pennsylvania <laughs> It's Pennsylvania folklore, and evidently, it melts into its own tears. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, then they, you know, they have a, they they put out a second record in 1976. You know, it, it, the, the two records. So, so Trick of the Tail comes out in February. Oh yeah. Wind and Weathering comes out in December. Right. And in the middle of that, I think Hackett releases a solo record. Correct. Which Rutherford and Collins play on, but actually, it's more of a Rutherford. I mean, it's a Hackett solo album, but Rutherford plays a big part in it. And uh, they really get along as far as on the guitar front. I mean, obviously, they both play guitars, but but they really click. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be Hackett. Doesn't he always seems slightly on the outside, but he there's no doesn't seem to be a lot of bitterness about it. Um, but it, it, sorry, he's still very very present. He's upset that more of his stuff doesn't make it onto right. Wind and Wuthering. Right. And in fact, there's a song called Inside and Out, which um, gets rejected, but is extremely good. And it shows um, up on an EP. Uh, Spot the Pigeon EP yeah, yeah. with Pigeon that song but the the album Wind and Weathering again it it starts off with a bang um, you mean uh, oh yeah 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 Wind, yeah, Wind and, yep. and Weathering we're onto that and, and it's got 11th Earl of Mar which I think is <laughs> awesome One for the Vine is a really long Tony Banks thing which is I, I like he, that song he likes it a lot not my favorite of his <laughs> Your Own Special Way which actually charts in the US yeah, and it's it is pretty, and that's the one that gets put on in, in like in favor of some of uh, pushes some of Hackett's material off there.
for me, this this record has three um, masterpieces, and the rest is is wonderful, but sort of stitches those three masterpieces together. Mm. And for me, that's Eleventh Earl of Mar, um, uh, Blood on the Rooftops. Oh yeah, and then Afterglow. Right. So, uh, and I like all of it. There's nothing, that's not to slight anything. I think it's a, it's a continuous vibe throughout. Mm-hmm. There's that uh, beautiful English folk guitar mixed with these keyboards and sweeping gestures. And he's a slightly, uh, Banks reco- like wrote a lot of this record, I think, because he was working on a solo record or something. Yeah. Oddly, um, I feel like tonally these albums get, get a touch uh get colored by their album covers yeah i always and think of it as more autumnal yeah even the, but that's sort it's of this, this gray sort of dreary uh eerie uh cover and so i think that tone like gets carried along with it interesting i i had no idea but there's a design firm that designs like all these basically from uh Selling England by the Pound. Is it hip- Hypnosis? Hypnosis. G-N-O-S-I-S. Yeah, they do all the Floyd stuff. But they do uh, but the tons of stuff. T-Rex, Pretty Things, Sabbath, UFO, 10CC, Bad Company, Zep. I mean, somebody, if they haven't already, somebody should make a documentary about hypnosis because these album covers are, you know, part of the grander pop, pop culture. I mean, these are incredible covers. I, it, the, it was funny because it, it was the last period for me to get to uh, was this period, but yeah. it was also the period that drew me in the, the most because I think yeah. of A Trick of the Tale and Wind and Wuthering as a very much like almost like a double album. For sure. Because the sound is so balls. similar. There's oddballs in there. Watt Gorilla is is what Phil likes. It's a little jazz fusion sound and there's the weird Tom and Jerry uh, song uh, about like a Robbery mou- and no. Oh, no, All in a Mouse's Night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're still very, very fanciful in what they're writing about. So if you're wanting to write about, you know, things here on Earth, you might, you might, you might have to work a little bit to get into this stuff. But it's, I think it's, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and they really are a great pair. Those two albums, and I think the way that Colin sings these records is some of my favorite ways that he sings. Yep. and you know the what happens is after that they they put out a live album called Seconds Out. Yeah, and that to me, um, it's the thing I've probably listened to the most. Really? Yeah, because it's got the Gabriel these stuff, sung stellar by. versions of um, of Firth of Fifth, yep. which I think is so great, with Hackett playing the guitar. And it's got the full suppers ready. Yeah, it's got some. It's got in the cage and carpet crawlers. And I just think it's got cinema show. Um, there, it's 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 pre superstar, you know, still a little bit. Oh yeah, it's yeah. pre eighties. Um, it's magical. Uh, there's and the the cover to that is this very kind of hazy, smoke filled. It's a cool stage, album cover too, and it it almost feels like an alien ship landing, and right. that to me conjures up. And I, you can see some of the videos from them playing at this time, and it's. Uh, it's so jam-packed full of musicality and, and um, whimsy and uh, just uh, absorbing, world-building kind yeah. of uh, Englishness that I, I, I find it hypnotic and, and transporting in the, in the best possible way. Mm-hmm. So Phil is... is, is Speaking of world-building, you know yeah. what we forgot to mention? What? In 1976, Phil Collins plays on Johnny the Fox. Wait, what's that? Thin Lizzie. 
Guilty. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he's he's everywhere, this guy. Johnny the Fox. But Hackett leaves. Yeah, halfway through the mixing or engineering or, or, or whatever, sort of the final stages of Seconds Out. Yeah, and he just sort he of... He just kind of bails. Just kind of bails and... It, He'd almost bailed a couple times before. I think the communication issues are there. I think he he wants he's got he's writing a ton of material and and as Banks says he's like there were some sides of him that we just weren't that interested in, but the sides know, which we says, did we were interested it uh, it interlocked perfectly you know and you're sort of like wow that's kind of a hard thing to one say. of the sort of like crueler things I've heard him say is like. I always knew he would leave. It was just that he left then. It was kind of, you know, it's kind of a pain in, in, in the ass that he we left. We do it. think about their next album would have been <laughs> even, was, would, would have been a different level with Hackett on there. We were doing Seconds Out at the time, mixing Seconds Out. And I um, was driving into London. And I saw him on the street and I said, do you want a lift? Because we were supposed to be mixing the album, you know, we were supposed to all go to the studio. And he said, no, no, it's all right, I'll, I'll call you later. So I got there and Tony and Mike said, have you heard? So I said, why? He said, Steve's left. So I said, I just saw him. He didn't say anything. Anyway, he called up later and said, listen, I thought it was best to tell you on the phone. But, you know, I'm going to leave. So I said, oh, OK. All right. Put the phone down. And it was, it was strange. I mean, you know, the way it happened. I mean, I, if, I mean, if Steve's watching this, I mean, he might feel strange the way I'm talking about it. But it was um, by the time these things do happen, that it is better that, it, that it, you get it over and done with. As a three-piece, we found a lot more room to breathe. Okay, so there's a big shift that happens here. So 1977, um, Peter Gabriel puts out his first solo album with uh, Salisbury Hill. Um, so that's that's something to uh, react against for them. There's also something in the air called punk rock <laughs> that puts a stake through the heart of Prague. I think that it's, it's considered a little sort of unhip to like Genesis. I get this impression from the from people in the music papers. You know, it's this kind of it's a strange strange group, you know, Genesis because it's it's a sort of it's a musical and quite complex group. And I think in England, words like um, concept album are very dirty words now. You know, mm. and you, the whole thing you should be going down sort of very basic stuff, technical stuff. You know, it's a weird thing. I, I it's just, I think it's an unnecessary. So it's a backlash, if you like, against the kind of music that was you know brought in by groups of our kind. See, we're quite for for see, there's a kind of batch of bands that, that the press associate together, which is the the ELPs and the Yes and the Moody Blues and for the Floyds and us. It's interesting. Phil Collins is like. Like, I was all for punk rock. I was like, yeah, like, totally. And then he was like, I, I, hated the, I hated the bands that they hated. And he's like, and then I realized, oh, we're one of those bands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. There's, by the way, there's a producer that comes in around this time named Dave Henschel. Dave yeah, Henschel. yeah, yeah. And he's a kind of, he's a big deal in that era of British music. And yeah, I he, think he engineered on uh, All Things Must Pass and 
Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, he works with Queen. He works with a lot of people, but he's kind of at the high watermark is his sort of four albums that he does with them. With these he, guys. He goes through to Duke. We've always been very closely involved with the production of our albums, really, whoever's been credited with it. But it's just, um, particularly with Dave Henschel, he he'd kind of could create a good sound. He knew pretty much where he was heading without being having to be directed very much, you know. But okay, so what do you think of... Um, and then there were three, which they all say is their worst album title. Um and worst album cover again something that like that hip hypnosis did and they're like well this didn't work and it creates a tone for the record that actually like you were saying it's i i had the exact same experience with this album that you were saying you had with wind and weathering it was sort of the last i circled around to it it was the it was the album that i heard and went okay this really has the feeling of the genesis that i know in the 80s and yet it's not that, so I don't really know what to do with it, but I have kept coming around to this album and realizing like it is a very special album. Yes. Um, the album cover really is, doesn't do it any favors, but it's awesome. So what you get is Hackett is gone, Gabriel is gone, everybody's gone, but three guys. Yep. And because they all do their own things so well, they really don't work outside. Uh, they don't reach into other people's territory. And so you have this streamlined triple parallel thing happening. Yeah. And it's it works incredibly well. And it works at the right time for this band to make a shift. Like they know they can't keep doing the Hackett noodling. They can't fill that in. And so they just come up with something that... It doesn't sound like craft work, but my head keeps going like this is that much of a shift. It's uh, the, the songs are all shorter. Uh, the guitar work is less prominent. Rutherford takes over because as, he's not as, a complicated guitarist, lead guitarist, and he becomes better and better. Rutherford, by the way, is is uh, if you listen to just his bass lines, you know, uh, especially yeah. live. Yeah, he's a John Entwistle level bassist. I mean, yeah. he he can do whatever he wants, but. Um, I, I gotta I guess say I'm I'm kind of with you on this record. In fact, it was one, listening to an early playlist of Genesis stuff. I kept getting, I I kept like saying, "What's this song?" And it would always be something off. And then there were three. It hit that sweet spot for me. But again, I I still I still err slightly towards the magic of the, with the, with the Hackett guitar work. But uh, the the drumming. Let's let's play the very beginning song off. And then there were three. Um, uh, which is what's it called? Down and out. Or? Down and out. Just listen to the drumming off "Down and Out." It's it's uh, ferocious. Check my bag, boy, and 
Forget it. It's all over. Another Zeppelin. Uh, they just figure out this pulsing formula I talked about before that sort of building to a climax. Mm-hmm. Now it's just, it's you're on a train. Yeah. And you're just headed for the cliff. And you know it's going to be this soaring finish as the train goes off. They the talk about how Banks is is an expert at layering things. Yeah, and uh, the the keyboard sounds that he layers, um, you know, from a certain perspective, you might say it's too much. But as I get get deeper into it, I just want more. Oh. and he stacks this stuff until it's just huge sounding. And yet, every, the elements are so sparse and effective, and that's that's what Rutherford talks about. He goes, he he says like like. He had this realization like, oh, we don't have to try so hard, which is what, as wonderful as all the things that we've talked about, you know, before this moment Mm -hmm. are, like, they are trying really hard. Oh, God. And they're working really hard and they're sweating and they're bashing up against each other a lot because everybody's trying, they're crossing over, right? And blurring and, and... it makes something interesting, but it's not what this is, which is everybody stays in their lane and works cleanly together, and it's it's just much simpler. And so it, it has a, a more emotional and sort of visceral impact, I think. I do think, I've just been looking around today, if you look at musicians and the way they, uh, the way it works, no one thinks about uh, someone's career. I mean, you know, the idea that jazz musicians and well, even folk and other musicians, they, they have a career. Everyone expects them to start off not so good and improve and get better. And uh, I think that the way companies work these days, record companies, there isn't much chance for that. People never think about uh, this young artist who maybe he'll do a couple of okay albums and then slowly suddenly blossom and develop, which I think we did. We were a bit flaky to start with, definitely. Um, and I think it's a shame, you know, you need to have this sort of, uh, uh, this long-term approach. There was a Genesis in 67. You know, there was a Genesis in 72, there's a Genesis in 76. Um, but, you know, you and I, we, we don't, you don't read the same kind of books that you used to read when you were, you know, 15 years ago. You don't dress the same way, you don't listen to the same kind of music, and nor do we. And so we are changing as everybody else is changing. Well, the song Undertow is it going to be in my top five. I, I love the, the yeah. chorus of that as this, as this as heart-tugging, you know... Um, it's a perfect chorus to my way of thinking the way he plays it and the way he sings. It's yearning. It's got yeah. that under yearning quality. It, it, this album does have one of the moments I find a, a slightly embarrassing when it comes on is the ballad the, of big. No, the one with the, the, they keep talking about the snowman. Oh, I don't know. Make way that? for the snowman. <laughs> it's like they keep talking. I think it's called snowbound. It's okay. Nonstops talking about a snowman. Kate Bush can do that. These guys, I'm just a little, I'm not quite there. But they put Follow You, Follow Me on this, which is their first, like, really... Re- I know what you, what I like did did okay. Yeah. Um, your Own Special Way does pretty well. Follow You, Follow Me is a smash. It just doesn't have a high bar for entry. It's not snobby in any way. It's, it's, um, it's emotional, and uh, it's just effective. It's a great song. It's just a great song. Stay with me, my love. I hope you'll always be 
They were also, though, in need of a, of a break. You know, it, it 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 bears saying, and they, that they want were, it. They want that break. Too. They want the break, but they were they were very nervous about how, especially the press. They, they were confident that they could they could make it through Gabriel's departure, but they were still trying to prove themselves again. Right, and then they're trying to prove themselves without Hackett, and to have this big hit was a, was sustaining. But they've also been on a treadmill for a long time. They sort of gotten through the hoops. They've said, okay, we can keep doing this, and. Uh, I think it, at this point, uh, Collins's marriage is on the rocks. Yeah, big time. Uh, he, maybe because he hasn't stopped touring for like seven years, but for sure. And and you know he's tried to balance. So there's a lot going on there. He's tried to balance this um, being the man of the house. Um, he marries a woman who has already has a, a kid, and so he instantly has a, has a child. And um, he they've got money for really the the first time. He buys a big house, um, but he's not there to be in that house with her. And she's basically like, "I'm here all alone." And I think they have a a, a second child, um, and and he's not there. And then there's this extra element of suddenly. There's a painter. He's, Sorry. Well, yes, but <laughs> he's the front man. Yeah. And yet the pecking order remains of Rutherford and Banks are kind of still the boss. And so he's still, whether they all say in retrospect, like, oh, you know, if you had only said something that yeah. you needed a break or you needed to do this, but F- F- Collins feels like not only can he not say that to those guys, he also just feels this, um, duty to the mm-hmm. band and the success that if he were to to let off the gas they wouldn't have their moment when they when rightly he's right they're on the verge of something enormous yeah and he's at the front and the and the fans are behind him that's like the biggest thing of all is like the genesis fans have embraced phil collins as the lead singer they didn't bring in an outside guy yeah. who wanted to like change what genesis was or or say like this is genesis with a, like a totally new attitude no this is phil collins coming from the back to the front yeah and the and the fans love that because they're they're, they're a great sounding band it's for genesis fans those two albums that you were talking about before are some of most people's favorite genesis albums. yeah yeah um and so he feels a sense of duty to not only the there's fans, a lot riding on him fans, huge amount the, the i don't want to underdo that i was just saying yeah, yeah, that yeah. like when when he talks about how being so devoted to this family life and then saying yet like there there, there, there are times when he says yes to like touring yeah in the down times with uh, with like Brandax or with other people, right. and you're like, well, you did have you, a chance there, yeah, for sure. But you want to went out on the road with Robert Plant for eight she, weeks, and, and she like, and Andy literally tells him for the and then there were three tour, which is going to be like a their the big probably their biggest tour yet because of the success of Follow You, Follow Me. She's like, if you do this, like we're done, mm-hmm. and he does, and she leaves. She sleeps with a guy who's painting their house. Right. So the, the, she's overseeing renovations in this place, and yeah. she sleeps with the painter. And One then thing she leads takes, to another. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a can of paint. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then she takes the kids and moves back to Canada where her mom is and they live in Vancouver. And Phil finally like takes the time and asks Tony and Mike, like, I I need to go like try to fix my marriage. Yeah. And so he moves to Vancouver and, and he's basically like, I have to leave the band and they're like, don't do that. We've got solo stuff we want to do. Um, and so those two guys go off on their own solo projects, which I'm sure you can talk about. Um, only a little bit. I don't really know the Rutherford one. I haven't gotten into that. The, um, small creeps day. I listened to it today and, it's really cool. Well, the one I, I absolutely adore is A Curious Feeling, which has a slightly lesser vocalist named Kim Beacon, a man. Uh, that's Banks doing... He's trying to... He wrote a concept album about flowers for Algernon. Oh, yeah. Time travel um, right. thing. And, uh, and a he, Curious Feeling? A Curious Feeling. Yeah. And he wasn't allowed to use the, the title Flowers for Algernon because... There was a musical about it in the West End that oh. ran for eight days. And he says, looking back, maybe he made a mistake. I should have gone with his gut. But it's a beautiful record. It's just Tony Banks turned up to, you know, turned up to 12. You, you need to have other things to do, which presents sort of different kinds of challenges and to be able to do things in a different, slightly different kind of way. And also on a solo career, there's different kinds of pressures. But in some ways, there's much less pressure because you're not, and less is expected of you. You know, I can do things a little bit more bizarre, which which I enjoy doing. Though it's Tony right. Banks' solo album, he's not singing. It's a, it's a marvelous piece of work. And Chester Thompson is playing drums on that. Chester Thompson becomes their touring drummer. Right. Who is, after Bruford only does one tour, but Chester Thompson really becomes a member of the band. Yeah. Um, and by the way, you know, Collins plays drums on all the studio records, but um, it, live, you know, he'll get he'll go and do do like drum duets with Thompson and he'll play on certain longer instrumental tracks, but for the most part he's out front. Yeah. And I think he's pretty psyched to, to have him in the band. Yeah, uh, he, he loves, loves the weather report, which he was a part of and, and Zappa and he loves all that jazz fusion stuff. And the, the songs that they play, I don't, know, but <laughs> yeah, I don't the songs that they play. Like anyone who tries to play them, there's always extra beats and stuff in there that just, yeah. it's, it's, it, they're very complicated. You know, we our show, I suppose, we got used to playing sort of bigger places in America. And quite honestly, you know, there's no doubt you have to put on a quite a show in those places in order to sort of... People can't see your faces or anything. Uh, some people are like a quarter of a mile away. So you've got to really do... We try and make the whole whole stage kind of reflect the, the emotion we're trying to get across with the music and what we, we would do individually if you could actually see us, you know. It doesn't work out in Vancouver. No, he's there for, I've heard, two months, four months. Either way, it doesn't seem like he was there long enough. But whatever, he's like... I tried really, really hard. Really hard. You were there for six weeks? Okay. Um, oh, uh, Anthony Phillips has a solo record that finally oh, comes out. Oh, man. Is- so that actually is what I stumbled across like a, a few years back and without knowing he was associated with Genesis. And I was like, this stuff is amazing. He'd been working on it basically <laughs> since leaving Genesis. All They'd done all this stuff and he's still it's, got this. It's so good. He's become, by the way, like basic, a classical guitar. Uh, he plays on that player. Uh, 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 Rutherford solo album as well, but he's he's he becomes he's got a real cult following as a, I think he's done like you know a bunch of volumes of this one thing that's been collected. We should play uh, God if I saw her now because um, Phil does vocals. On wait, that. wait, what's the name of the of the album? Because it's got Ge- Geese and the Ghost or something. It's got right? a very t- it's about the most twee name you could ever think of. The Geese and the Ghost. 
the geese and the ghost. I mean, <laughs> Wes Anderson, where are you? <laughs> well, I bet Bell you and Sebastian was, was, was started <laughs> just then. Yeah. interesting is they all the, the guys who leave they all sort of remain friends and they play on each other's records oh yeah um so speaking of which um you're about to say phil comes back to the uk and discovers that um tony and mike are like still in sweden at abba's studios recording their solo albums and he's <laughs> he i mean it is the perfect storm and we'll get into it in the next episode but uh He's now in the house that he bought with his ex-wife and he's looking at the the unfinished painting of the painter that uh, had an affair with his wife and he's there by himself. His bandmates are gone and he's got nothing to do. And he starts hanging out with uh, John Martin. And Eric uh, Clapton? And Eric Clapton. Um, he, uh, does the drums on Intruder. This is what I was getting to. He, he works with Peter Gabriel on, on Peter's third album, which is fantastic. We talked about it in the Kate Bush episode. It's Hugh Padams on that. That's where they sort of unlock the, uh, the gold of the, um, gated drum sound. The gated, and if you don't, don't know what the gated drum sound is, don't worry. You've heard it. It is the sound that drums made in the 1980s. And basically yeah. Phil Collins is responsible. He, and Hugh Padams are responsible for this sound which love I mean, it or hate it I mean a lot of us have come to absolutely love it now um, but it sounds almost like electronic should we drums. hear do we play in, I don't think we played Intruder uh, in the yeah. Kate Bush episode I know
Do you run into Peter Gabriel and, and Steve Hackett and the other people? Uh, I run into to, to Peter and I run over Steve. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. Or do I? Um, I? Peter and I are very, very good friends. Um, I mean, I did his last album. Yeah. And uh, I was very proud of my work on that. I, I liked the album. I thought it was a very brave album. Very. And uh, we were in contact with each other. I mean, he rang me out and said, I liked your album. And I said, great, you know. I mean, it's like we were in contact with each other. And in fact, just before he recorded that, I actually played in a, in a band with him. Because uh, Mike and Tony were doing their own albums and I was at a loose end. I was tying up things with my record before I went into the studio. And um, he didn't have a band, you know. So he, he asked me, John Giblin, and a keyboard player called Jeff Wesley and Joe Partridge, who played slide guitar on one track, um, to form a band. And we did all that Beko and I don't remember and all the, you know, Salisbury Hill. We did a tour, basically. Really? Where? Uh, in England, about six gigs. Huh. And it was great fun. The gated drum sounds one of the reasons why Phil gets sampled so much in hip hop. Yeah, because he he he's you can tell why. I mean, he's he's got this incredibly influential sound. He he gets them to give him a one of these synthesizer type things, right? Yeah, so it's not uh, a Fairlight; it's something else. Uh, it's a Roland um, synthesizer drum machine. Yeah, um, and uh, he gets that. All the guys in Genesis get it. They tour in Japan, and um, they get the Roland gives them each um a synthesizer and at the time i'm sorry a drum machine it feels like no thank you no, i thank am a you. drummer <laughs> have you not noticed i am the drum machine yeah <laughs> um and uh so he's kicking around uh london and he's doing session work with his buddies uh he does um session work with with or on john uh, martin's album who's also a recent divorcee and a big boozer and so they're sort of carousing together and uh brand x is hanging out at the house like it's just sort of like a non-stop party um with darker he's working on stuff with darker themes and he <laughs> finally sort of ends up creating a bedroom studio mm -hmm. And he he starts writing songs really truthfully for the the first time, and they're all divorce core. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he kind of invents divorce core, you yeah. might say. Yeah. The first couple, actually, you know, he's got he's got two solid divorce records, but really a third as well. Probably you don't know whether that was a spur of it, whether that started it or not. Over the period of a year, I, I did write uh, the all these songs that that were basically autobiographical it was like a diary and uh, it was kind of a miserable period I mean I, a lot of the songs on my first album and everyone calls it a miserable album you know and uh, my critics do anyway but there's an awful lot of you know up songs on that because by the time the album come out I'd, I'd, uh, I'd met Jill who's now my wife and we were you know I was fine these are the things that become face value we're gonna get there yeah, in next, the next episode next time. because before they reconvene he has he has he has recorded a demo of yeah. In the Air Tonight. Uh, correct. Are you going to play something? Yeah. Well, he's recorded demos of of all these songs that um, are become huge. Uh, Misunderstanding is, is part of that. Please Don't Ask, both of which um, will show up on Duke. But I'll just play this demo. Maybe you've heard this one.
So for a lot of these, he hasn't even sort of nailed down the lyrics. He's just yeah. kind of piecing together things that that sound right. He's leaning on this drum machine because it um, it just provides some stability for him to focus on the the singing and the uh, the other aspects of the song. Um, but as we'll get to, it it finds its way into the the eventual album and the sound of the eighties. Yes. Um, pretty much i mean sort of accidentally or casually rather um but yeah so he's he's doing this work uh, he's just kind of a sad sack in his bedroom yeah. basically i mean it's very indie it's very indie i mean phil is is sort of and you know one th- one, of the, one of the elephants in the room that we haven't mentioned is the uh, very famous american psycho uh diatribe about the difference between Phil Collins and Genesis and, and oh, right. Patrick Bateman, the, you know, homicidal murderer, right. much prefers Phil Collins to uh, Genesis for various reasons that, you know, we'll probably play a clip of it. But Do you like Phil Collins? I've been a big Genesis fan ever since the release of their 1980 album, Duke. Before that, I really didn't understand any of their work. It was too artsy, too intellectual. It was on Duke where uh, Phil Collins' presence became more apparent. I think Invisible Touch is the group's undisputed masterpiece. Before we, before that happens, we have one last, not gasp, one last um, a gargantuan achievement coming out of Genesis. They they reconvene, yeah. and because they've all had solo records, and and or they, Mike and Tony have had solo records. Phil um, has recorded all these demos. He plays them a bunch of stuff. There's this all ongoing feud to this day that Tony says he never played him in the air tonight, and Phil says I definitely played you in the air tonight, but you didn't want it for Duke. But, but they, they they decide to collaborate more on Duke. Yeah. They've got their own studio now and they they just collaborate and they sort and of Phil has songs. Phil that he's has songs bringing to the table. This becomes really Genesis Mach 3 and that's yeah. with them they ha- they start this way of working where they don't really write until they get into the studio and they 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 collaborate almost eyeball to eyeball which I think is really cool. People find it hard to understand. And uh, it's the combination of the different talents that you put them together and you come out with this strange element that is uh, it's like cooking actually. It's like Genesis, and no one can control it. And people seem to say, you know, what's the next album? What are you planning? And uh, it's not like that. We just go in and we start banging around and things come out and we can't control it. Duke comes together and they, they're, I think they say that if it hadn't worked, they would have disbanded. Really? Um, so, you know, and, and uh, Phil Collins clearly gives credit to his success from this point on, which is the biggest success is what people know to his divorce. You know, he wouldn't have been in this state. He wouldn't have sort of become a songwriter or, or ventured to his first divorce, his first divorce, (laughs) uh, to bear his soul and write honestly about feelings that, that, you know, uh, people, can relate to when when they're sitting in their car Not alone. Not really Genesis feelings, yeah. Right. Um, the, no more uh, fairies and war- warlocks. I mean, I'm fed up over the years of hearing or singing about stories or fantasy and not 
things that people relate to. I mean, so I think you, songs should, somewhere along the line, relate to people and, uh, and not just, you know, heroes from mythology. bringing all this uh, to the equation um, and also as a vocalist as well. I mean, it's, he's, he's sort of, as, as you said, he's, he's bigger uh, vocally. He's bigger now. vocally. He's really coming into his own. And you're right. He says that he, if his solo album would have just been a bunch of muso jazz stuff, if, right. if it hadn't been for this. And, you know, I, I love Genesis is at its core, at least uh, it began as, a, as an escapist, fantastical, dramatic, uh, deeply musical kind of project. But it wasn't a hit you in the gut with raw, you know, plastic Ono band emotion. Right. Like simple sort of like, love me, you know, right. uh, or uh, where did you go? Like, right. It's nothing. Right. It's nothing like that. And Phil sort of decides that he's got to write those songs. Right. But and, be- and they're recording in the bedroom studio at his house. They're, d- Genesis is coming to him now. Yeah. I think that they're 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 a little worried about him i mean his personal life is has been is in shambles and this is honestly this is the best they can do as far as supporting a friend is the old uh, 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 yes. uh, pat on the back chap he's having a bit of a rough he's go. having feels maybe we should go to his house this time <laughs> <laughs> but Duke starts to come together, and when when oh, they come together, they they what what really happens is they end up conceiving another like thirty minute song called the Duke Suite. Mm-hmm. But they're so still at this point still sheepish or anxious or even afraid of it being compared to Supper's Ready that they decide to break it up, and the Duke Suite is uh, behind the lines, Duchess guide vocal. Uh, um, Turn It On Again, uh, Duke's Travels and Duke's End, which if you you can sequence it together, that's how they played it live. And it is a tour de force. I mean, I'm not saying it's... I don't think anything could really touch Supper's Ready, but if it's a different band, <laughs> a different really doing band, yeah. it is. It is still as beautiful a piece and moving and dramatic and and perfectly calibrated a piece of music as you can find. It's got none of the the slight off kilter weirdness of of Peter Gabriel, but um, I mean, one of the early times when we were we were sort of getting into this, you sent me or uh, or. Or I sent you, I forget which one it was, but a clip of uh, a young, like maybe 1981, uh, Phil Collins singing Duchess live in concert. Um, and it blew my face off. Really? Like it was, the well, the lyric here, you know, Phil would have written a much Tony more... Tony says it's like one of the best songs they've ever written. And, and I, I, I agree. Phil would have written a more direct lyric. Tony wrote the lyric, I think. Yeah. And it's about... I don't think Hell knows it's about, a, it's about. He said it, it, it could have been about Madonna. Madonna hadn't. It's about an he said Madonna hadn't been created yet. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so good. So let's play it. Okay. I mean, it's. I'm gonna. Sound get us of to, Duke. The sound of Duke. Lex is. Uh, I. I have to tell you. Okay. So, the other day it was it was Dad's lunch. Uh, for for Wallace, my daughter, and so um, I had to 
get from one place to another. I had to pick up lunch and then I got to go to the park across the street to, um, you know, meet up with the, the kids and have dad's lunch. And I really didn't have time to, to stop for a minute. And yet Duchess was on my stereo and it was building to the climax that we're, we're about to play. And I just had to stop and listen. I was like, I can spare these 30 seconds. Mm. I'm not going to rush out of the car. Okay, you know, I'm to just going to sit. All right, here we go. had a thought today that I was like, is this Tony writing about Phil? You know, like being in the front and just sort of, it's his way of giving credit to his, his bandmate without sort of saying old chap, you know. Yeah, I mean, because this is... I see what the, you're doing and I feel for you. In, in five more years there would be legitimate concerns about how big Phil had become, but yeah. here they're still... Duke is... Um, they Tony considers it their greatest album. I, I I love it. I mean, it's it's up there for me. The, it's a, a desert island disc. The cover. It's my favorite cover of theirs. Oh, for sure. And apparently, it's a, from a, a French picture book. A, like a, an alphabet book. Alphabet or book. But it's simple, and it's not. Everything about this band is complicated, and they're constantly they're having to, even in their own words, their uh, inclination and what they have to their liability is that they try to do. That they, they they overcomplicate things. By the time we got to the end of Wind and Mothering, particularly, we thought we'd explored the sort of the, the big, grandiose songs to quite a large extent. And though, though we still had plenty of it in us, we felt that we'd like to try some other things as well. So we wanted to try some of the slightly more slightly simpler things, and also try the simpler arrangements. Which was we started doing more on Duke, I think, with songs particularly um, Duchess and Turn It On Again and things, where the arrangements very simple. But we felt that the songs, I and mean, I still believe Duchess. It's one of the strongest songs we've ever done, and it's a very simple song. I don't use about four chords, and yet I think it it says an awful lot because it's just a very because it's very direct. And I think sometimes if you, you leave a song without all that much arrangement, it can come through sometimes better, you know. But that's not to say dislike the old stuff because I don't. I mean, I, I still enjoy it very much. There's still some we do on stage that I think is very good. I like. I've at, at first I hated having to work so hard to get these songs and love them, but I I did. I got there and I really found it. But Duke, you don't have to work as hard. And there's a simplicity, no. but they're still sophisticated. There's the layering that 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 Banks does, and uh, you know Rutherford's really become more of a, 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 a grand guitarist here. Um, you know, there's hits. Misunderstanding's a huge hit, and that's one of the first songs that really is a pure Phil song. Yeah, I love that he. I I hadn't thought about this. I sort of always associate misunderstanding with his um, 
love of R&B and sort of uh, Motown. Um, but he says that it, he's like, I wanted to make, make a song like, um, uh, like Sail on Sailor or Toto or Rocky Mountain Way. And it does have that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that song and it, it happens to be one of their biggest hits at the time, uh, in the U S it crosses over big time. Um, we should probably play that. That that song really sort of defines uh, his problems. I went home alone. I went home alone. But also, he's like, I just don't understand like what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> you know, that seems to happen over and over with poor Phil. The thing about um, about though about Duke though is that they you know they do split up the, that huge suite so that they don't compete with it. But the, all that suite was all written in the studio. People did bring their own things, like Misunderstanding and Please Don't Ask is Collins, Alone Tonight, and Man of Our Times is Rutherford, and Heath Hayes and uh, Cul-de-Sac is Banks, but everything else is written in tandem, and they decide that's going to be their mode going forward. But it's not on... I mean, another one of these high watermarks, so there's a very brief but um, gorgeous song called Guide Vocal. Um, that it was part of the suite. Uh, on, it's on Duke, and it's just so pretty and so well sung, and it's reprised in Duke's Travels, mm. and that is considered by a lot of the people who love the band one of the two or three high water marks of their musicality, yeah, and um, dynamics, and the, just the, the heavens opening kind of moment, yeah. And again, I have no idea what the story is that they're trying to tell, but I don't care. Yeah, Alone okay. Tonight is another real perfect one for me yeah yeah i mean well this this catapults them uh and him uh and and we'll talk more about that next time so what do we got to give a little bit of a a top five yeah for sure i'm ready um also i realized uh we were like oh phil phil is really the uh uh, a proto divorce core uh artist yeah you know who really is james taylor marvin Gaye. Oh, well, we, <laughs> I mean, right here, my dear. Said it everything. Mm. Uh, okay, so um, let me get to my list. Okay, I got a bunch here. Um, we're doing five-ish. 
five-ish, and then uh, I've got another one. I've got a second one of sort of side project type things. But actually, I'm not. I'm gonna wait till the next one. I'm just gonna. You do, sure? I'm just gonna do this version of Genesis. You could do side projects in the seventies. You know what? Why don't I? Okay, we'll just let's just just we'll let's launch in here. All right. Um, yeah. You know what? I I, I just gotta. I don't, I'm not going to be able to do five, but I can do my favorite songs. Um, from uh, Selling England by the Pound, I love More Fool Me, uh, which we played, I think, um, because of that live uh, double tracking, vocal tracking that happens with, the, with Peter and, and Phil singing. Um, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe. It's a great song. It just hooks me. I wake up singing it sometimes. Um, fly on a windshield from lamb. Uh, I just, that huge moment when they all come in together that we played, um, just love it so much. Counting out time. I love, mm-hmm. sort of, um, so them doing the Beatles a little bit. Yep. Uh, the, we actually played, I, I guess we didn't play trick of the tail, but, uh, uh, squonk entangled and trick of the tail from, from that album. I love and uh, a lot more than five. I'll just throw that out there. Yeah, I, <laughs> it's fine. I love it. Keep going. Um, and then uh, follow you, follow me, and then the the two uh, songs from Duke we just played. Okay, so which is Duchess and Duchess and Misunderstanding. Misunderstanding. Okay, well we're not gonna we're not gonna Duchess is on my list. Okay, I figured there would be crossover. Yeah, I mean, um, again, no surprise, Supper's Ready is on my oh, list. Oh yeah. Now I would I I probably would go with the original, although I've okay. come to really love the Collins version. And is it about the same length of time? Yep. Yeah. Um, the Firth of Fifth live in uh, it's on seconds out mm. is on my is so that's. That's two. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Blood on the Rooftops off of Wind and Wuthering, nice. I think, is gorgeous. Nice. Afterglow off Wind and Wuthering is, um, it's, uh, you know, um, grand yeah. and melancholic. And uh, it just, uh, I, I want it makes me feel, all that gives me all the feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, then Alone Tonight off Duke. Nice. And undertow off of, and then there were three, so that's six, possibly seven. Fantastic. Uh, and then I mean, for uh, do you want to do your? Um, no, your you know, I think mo- I just realized most of them are from the eighties. I thought you were going to say most of them are Brand X. <laughs> <laughs> I could go. I mean, Squonk, I think is fantastic. I love Trick of the Tail. I, I adore um, Carpet Crawlers and uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Um, I think Cinema honestly, Show is, is just go- beautiful. It, uh, I, I don't feel bad about about this because I feel like what what happens, with, and and part of why we're doing this is you know. Most people, if you haven't taken the the deep dive with Phil and this band, they're like, really? You guys are going to do two episodes on Phil Collins? <laughs> and hell yes, we are. And here's why. We're going to create a kick-ass playlist for you of Genesis in the 70s and... Um, to show you why, to show you why it's it's it it'll get its hooks in you, I think, and like again, pull you down to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> um, 
so I feel a little bit changed by this um I do too. Episode. I, I, a little bit in the way I felt of after the Roxy Music one, where I yeah. had I had I had only the slightest inkling of the depths that I was about to be um that were about to wash over me. Yeah, I have this weird thing hap happening where I I'm like I'm I I don't actually know what they're called. They must have a name for themselves, but the like uh, I feel like a Genesis head. Like I, I'm like I I live and breathe this band yeah. now. And like I, I, I solo I'm, I'm devoted. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I've never. Qu- I don't know that I. It's different than loving a band or or sort of um, sort of carrying a torch for the band. This is different. This is like like I'm drinking the. The, the water <laughs> it's like life somehow every time i think i'm gonna hit a solo record that i think is gonna be a stinker they all have this expert quality like i'm glad i'm talking to you and we're putting it we're recording this because i i feel like if i started talking to someone who says like oh yeah you you're doing genesis i would start talking and and then realize that I've been talking to them for an hour and they haven't said anything. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It's it's uh, There was just a lot to say. It's a pocket universe. <laughs> it sure is. Um, uh, I have no idea what to... Let's turn on guide vocal. Do it. On your 